0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the November 15th meeting of the San Francisco County Transportation Authority Board. I am Rafael Mandelman, and I serve as chair of this board. Our vice chair is Aaron Peskin. Our clerk today is Elijah Saunders. Mr. Clerk will, oh, and I probably have somebody from SFGovTV to thank somewhere, Um, Kalina Mendoza. Um, Thank you, Kalina Mendoza, and uh, Mr. uh, Saunders, please call the roll.
1: Commissioner Chan. Chair absent. Commissioner Dorsey? Present. Dorsey present. Com- Chair Mandelman? Present. Mandelman present. Commissioner Marr? Marr present. Commissioner Melgar. Present. Melgar present. Commissioner Peskin. Present. Peskin present. Commissioner Preston? Present. Preston present. Commissioner Ronan? Ronan absent. Commissioner Safai? Safai absent. Commissioner Stephanie? Stephanie present. Commissioner Walton? Please. Walton present. Chair, we have quorum.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. I think you have a public comment announcement.
1: I do. For members of the public interested in participating in this board meeting, we welcome your attendance here in person in the Legislative Chamber, Room 250 in City Hall. Or you may watch cable channel 26 or 99 depending on your provider or stream the meeting live at www.sfgovtv.org. For those wishing to make public comment remotely, the best way to do so is by dialing 415-655-0001 and when prompted, entering access code 2486-332-3637 and then press pound and pound again. You'll be able to listen to the meeting in real time. When public comment is called for the item you wish to speak on, press star 3 to be added to the queue to speak. Do not press star 3 again or you will be removed from the queue. When the system says your line is unmuted, the live operator will advise that you will be allowed two minutes to speak. When your two minutes are up, we will move on to the next caller. Calls will be taken in the order in which they are received. Best practices are to speak slowly, clearly, and turn down the volume of any televisions or radios around you. Public comment for items on this agenda will be taken first from members of the public in attendance in the legislative chamber, and then afterwards from the remote speaker's queue on the telephone line. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, Before calling the next item as chair, I'm gonna invoke rule 3.26 from our rules of order to limit total public comment per item to 30 minutes for today's meeting. It's my intention to uh, give everyone two minutes to speak on a given item. Um, And with that, Mr. Clerk, would you please call our next item
1: item number two chairs report this is an information item
0: thank you mr. clerk um, well we have happy news uh, i am pleased to report that our sales tax renewal measure prop l passed with seventy one percent voter support um, thanks colleagues for u- your unanimous support to place this on the ballot um, and, uh, of course, want to thank the San Francisco voters for recognizing the importance of investing in our transportation system. As you all know, Prop L is a generational investment in our transportation future, securing $2.6 billion in funding for the next 30 years for safer, smoother streets, more reliable transit, continued paratransit services, less congested streets, and improved air quality. The Expenditure plan uh, for Prop L was developed by a great expenditure plan advisory committee um, representing folks from across San Francisco and the various interests that make up our city, led by Amandeep Jawa of the League of Conservation Voters and Annie Chung of Self-Help for the Elderly. Um, Prop L will help our city's economic recovery, leveraging billions of dollars in state and federal infrastructure grants, including, we hope, federal transit funds for the downtown rail extension and highway funds for repair of our streets and roads prop l success would not have been possible without the support of a broad based coalition of community civic leader business and environmental groups who came together to shape the spending plan and support our staff Um, i want to uh, in support of our staff i want to thank um, thank all of those groups and also very much congratulate our director Tilly Chang uh, our chief deputy director Maria Lombardo principal planner Michelle Beaulieu and communications director uh, Eric Young who spearheaded the agency's efforts to develop the expenditure plan Um, uh, on the campaign side I want to just send uh, an enormous uh, thank you to Charlie Lavery um, who uh, co-chaired our efforts uh, and along with Rudy Gonzalez. Um, did an amazing job of um, bringing in labor support. Uh, Bevan Dufty from the BART Board, who was heavily engaged in shaping the expenditure plan, also came through um, in, on the campaign side. We're thankful to Carl Guardino, Annie, uh, Annie Egan, the, uh, the, who helped us with our fundraising. Um, Jim Stearns did a fantastic job on this campaign, as did Daniel Anderson Um, And then we got some help from Dave Ho and Dixon Lee. So to all of them and all the folks in labor and business and all of the groups, a million thank yous. And uh, we will spend this money wisely and leverage every last dollar of state and federal funding that we can. Um, And then on a more somber note, uh, one of the priorities in Prop L is safer streets. And this month on November 20th will be World Day of Remembrance for road traffic victims, the sad anniversary when we mourn those who have been killed or injured in traffic collisions. Already this year we have lost 29 people to traffic crashes, 16 of them pedestrians. Today we will hold a hearing on Vision Zero and we send our deep condolences to Bay Area Families for Safe Streets and all those who have lost loved ones as we recommit ourselves to do everything we can to prevent traffic crashes. Uh, And finally, colleagues, we send congratulations to Michelle Bouchard, who has been named Caltrain's first dedicated CEO general manager after holding the acting position for the past few years. Thank you, Commissioner Walton, uh, for your service on the Peninsula Joint Powers Authority and for your and Vice Chair Peskin's efforts uh, during the governance discussions that secured an independent executive director for Caltrain. And we look forward to continued partnership with everyone at Caltrain under Director Bouchard's leadership. With that, I conclude my remarks, and um, I believe that Commissioner Melgar in the queue.
2: So, you know, um... I was sweating bullets over Propel, I have to admit, and um, for the west side in particular, um, because I am always talking about how our infrastructure is so poor, and we have so many seniors and kids, it's particularly important that we invest. Um, so I just wanted to thank you, uh, Chair Mendelman, for taking it uh, so seriously, and for being strategic and um, just hard working around Prop L. I wanted to particularly also thank uh, Charlie Lavery uh, at um, the Operating Engineers Local 3. Uh, You guys just did so much hard work and also strategic work in convincing the voters. Um, And uh, Director Tilly Chang, Uh, you are so amazing. Thank you so much for uh, what this investment will be in in my district and for our kids. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Uh... Uh, Commissioner Melgar and then I also um, do want to thank I mean everybody in the board helped out with this but um, in in particular um, uh, uh, Vice Chair Peskin, Commissioner Walton, Uh, Commissioner uh, Melgar I know uh, and others I think may have been asked may have been out um, passing the tin cup I know supervisor uh, Commissioner Safai did an event with us um, I think ever and uh, Commissioner Marr and uh, so I think this was a group effort and thanks to everyone who helped out let's see if there's public comment on this item I don't think Director Chang is here for public comment. <laughs> so um, let's see if we have any remote public comment.
3: Well done, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Vice Chair.
4: Checking for public comment on item number two. There is no public comment.
0: All right. Uh, public comment on item two is closed. Mr. Clerk, please call item three.
1: Item number three, Executive Director's Report. This is an information item
5: good morning uh... commissioners and and i just really want to echo uh, commissioner melgar's thanks to this board and and of course to our chair uh... Chair Mandelman. uh... it has been such an honor and privilege to work with the whole team at the transportation authority our whole board uh, yourself of course charlie lavery our co, uh... Our co-chair on 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 the other side of the of our work at the at the t a but off-campus work but i also really want to very much appreciate the community. Um, we had so much support across the city. It was not just on one, in one side or in one area, but we really did have broad-based support for this effort, um, which was well-prepared by our staff. I really have to, again, uh, give tremendous kudos and appreciations to Maria Lombardo, our long-time, this is your, th- your third? Your third measure, uh, who has been here longer than me, um, our Chief Deputy Director, Maria Lombardo, who spearheaded this at, at the uh, staff side, along with Michelle Bolio as Chair mentioned, uh, Anna LaFour, Eric Young, uh, really our whole team. Um, we will be developing, of course, all of the follow-on um, items, such as you know how to transition from K to L. Uh, it will be the everything April 1st, when we collect our first dollar of the... The, the new Prop L sales tax, um, and in the coming months, we'll look forward to working with your staffs um, and again keep uh, engaged with all the community groups that were part of the process. Uh, again, want to thank uh, Amandeep Jawa and Annie Chung, who were the co chairs of our expenditure plan advisory committee. These were your appointees, uh, 27 of them, who gave, I think. Dozens and dozens of hours uh, six months of work. I think uh, 14 meetings two hours each in the evenings and gave up their precious valuable time uh, To advise to debate and ultimately shape this expenditure plan 2.6 billion dollars that we believe will continue to leverage Billions and billions in federal and state funds for our city to help with recovery climate equity safety and and our economic goals so again, thank you to our board and thank you to the community for your support. Okay, um, on, the regional, uh, on the regional side, I just wanted to mention a few things. MTC will be doing, uh, and Bart will be doing some outreach this month. Um, MTC's outreach relates to the future of Bay Area freeways. Um, and it's notable that San Mateo, uh, by the way, um, is going to be opening its 101 express lanes Uh, early next year. This is um, something that's been under development for the past couple of years. Uh, It will be creating 22 miles of express lanes on US 101 from Redwood City where the lanes currently um, uh, begin in in, in the new segment and then all the way to I380 near San Francisco Airport. Um, They will connect to uh, Santa Clara and then ultimately we are developing HOV lanes in our segment of 101 and 280, the north extension into the King Street touchdown. Um, There will be some um, interesting sort of TDM and affordability programs for San Mateo residents and we'll be happy to bring an update to you all as we get closer to, to that milestone. Um, MTC's outreach will be focused on a, a wider Bay Area-wide freeway study with webinars scheduled for November uh 17th and the 29th. Uh presentation will focus on some of the challenges and opportunities facing the region as congestion does continue to uh surge in some parts of the network. Uh, this is an opportunity to inform the development of some innovative solutions for traffic uh congestion and try to close, as well, equity gaps in how, how Bay Area travelers do get around on our freeways. So for more information, folks can go to MTC's website, the Metropolitan Transportation Commission, commission at Bay bayareametro.gov. On the BART side, uh, BART is part of Link 21 with Capital Corridor Joint Powers Authority. So the two agencies have combined and are leading the Link 21 effort, which is a new vision for the 21st century rail system of the Bay Area and really the whole Northern California mega region. I think it's 21 counties all in, uh, hence the name Link 21. Um, But the outreach in San Francisco takes place tomorrow, Wednesday, November 16th, from 5.30 to 7.30. Um, as well as uh, they'll be having virtual office hours uh, the following day on Thursday, November 17th from 4.30 to 5.30. Uh, PM, And at these meetings, BART staff and uh, uh, Capitol Corridor staff will be sharing information about the new Transbay rail crossing that they are considering and evaluating and refining uh, with partner agencies and the community, uh, communities on both sides of the bay over the next year. Additional outreach and details on the full list of potential options um, are going to be presented, and we will be happy to bring that presentation to you as well in the new year. Turning now to some local issues, we see that uh, the prop K neighborhood program continues to roll out, including in district three earlier this month, we joined vice chair Peskin San Francisco school board, president Jenny lamb, and community leaders from Chinatown trip to celebrate the opening of the Jackson and Kearney street improvements. These are pedestrian safety, um, bulb outs and a new scramble. These are the all red signal projects that allow pedestrians to cross in all directions. The completed work, um, is part of the John Yee Hall Chin Safe Routes to School project as well as uh, part of a larger Kearney, uh, Kearney corridor um, Safe Streets initiative so th- congratulations and thank you to SFMTA for that work and the community which has long advocated as well as uh, with, uh, with supervisor and uh, Vice Chair Peskin um... let's see I also wanted to note that the Petrero Yard this is SFMTA's bus yard in um, districts uh, seven and excuse me nine and Uh, 10 um, has prepared uh, uh, has selected in fact a development team for that project and as you'll recall the transportation authority you all approved funding to help with that procurement process and to support the project legislatively in your other role as as supervisors this will be a modern facility developed with up to 575 affordable um, and and uh, other rental and affordable and market housing units uh, earlier this year, the board authorized execution of the initial pre development agreement with the Petrero Neighborhood Collective. Um, this is a partnership of Plenary, META, the Mission Economic Development Agency, and, and many others, uh, young community developers, I believe, as well. Um, and this was the developer team that SMT, SFMTA has selected to lead the design and delivery of this innovative project. It is a, uh, it is a concession project, which is somewhat called a public-private partnership, which will have not only the new facility and the housing, but really allow Muni's transition to a battery electric fleet. So this will enable the electrification of Muni's um, complete uh, bus facilities out there. And we will be glad, of course, to bring them back to you all to give you an update later, uh, perhaps even next month. Muni has also made very good progress on their transit stop signage enhancement program this is funded by our prop double a vehicle registration fee sfmta continues to roll out updated signage for transit routes across the city with the t-line coming up and set to receive 80 new signs uh, this will coincide with the full opening of central subway um, which of course begins a weekend uh service this weekend on the 19th so that's a great, great update as well, and we do believe that that will um, really help ensure that the folks understand and, and have, have uh, more significant infrastructure at the stops. This is signs with solar-powered lights at approximately 140 stops along the 14, 14 r Mission, 25 Treasure Island, 78, and Van Ness routes. Over the next year, the priority is to install additional signs on Muni's high ridership lines, which will provide clearer information and make the Muni system easier to use. Um, and we believe a, a phase two will also be forthcoming. Turning to uh, grant uh, grant applications and our hopes to complete the West Side Bridges project. Um, this is a seismic safety project on Yerba Buena Island. Um, And on November 9th, the Bata oversight committee as part of MTC recommended $5 million in their cycle three local partnership program funds. So we appreciate uh, the Bay Area Toll Authority and MTC for their support. Uh, We will also be uh, collaborating uh, this month to submit a grant application for a multi-use path uh, together with the region for for this uh, area from Yerba Buena down to Treasure Island. And uh, with that, I'm happy to take any questions. That concludes my report.
0: Thank you, Director Chang. I do not see any comments or questions from colleagues. So let's open up your report to public comment. If there's anyone in the chamber who would like to comment, please come forward. And seeing none, let's see if we have remote public comment.
4: Okay, Checking for remote public comment. Again, for those listening, you press Star 3, if you'd like to comment. I see no public comment for this item.
0: All right. Public comment on item 3 is closed. Thank you, uh, Executive Director Chang.
1: And Mr. Clerk, please call our next item. Item number 4, approve the minutes of the November 8, 2022 meeting. This is an action item.
0: I don't see comments or questions from colleagues so let's see if there's public comment on the minutes anyone in the chamber seeing nobody in the chamber can we see if we have any remote public comment on the minutes
4: there is no public comment on this item
0: all right public comment on item 4 is closed Uh, is there a motion to approve item 4 moved by Marr is there a second seconded by Peskin Mr. Clerk, please call the roll.
1: Commissioner Chan? Aye. Chan, aye. Commissioner Dorsey? I'm absent. Dorsey absent. Uh, Chair Mandelman?
0: Present. Uh, aye, sorry.
1: <laughs> Mandelman, aye. Commissioner Marr. Marr, aye. Commissioner Melgar. Aye. I. aye. Commissioner Peskin? Aye. Peskin, aye. Commissioner Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. Commissioner Safai? Safai, aye. Commissioner Stephanie? Stephanie, aye. Commissioner Walton? Walton, aye. There are 10 ayes. The minutes are approved.
0: All right. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Please call items five through seven, our consent agenda.
1: Items five through seven comprise the consent agenda. Staff is not planning to present on these items, but is available for questions.
0: I do not see any comments or questions from colleagues. Is there a motion to approve the consent agenda? Moved by Melgar, seconded by Mar. Um, I think that we can take this same house, same call, without objection.: It's fun. Uh, Mr. Clerk, can you please call our next item?:
1: Item eight, Vision zero: Walk SFs making San Francisco's a safe speed city, solutions to slow our streets and save lives report. This is an information item.
0: All right. Um, and I believe we have Jody Medeiros with, uh with Walk San Francisco.
6: Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Chair Mandelman and the Commission. My name is Jody Maderas, and I am the Executive Director of Walk San Francisco, and thank you for inviting me to present our speed management report. I'm joined here by some colleagues. All right, colleagues. hold up. Shh.
0: Please continue.
6: I'm joined here by my colleagues, Marta Lindsay and some other members of our Walk San Francisco team that really made this report happen. Dangerous speeds kill again and again on our streets. And Walk San Francisco is here to bring your attention to the issue of speed. Addressing speed is the most effective path to preventing severe and fatal crashes, and we know this for many reasons. (coughs) It's consistently the number one cause of severe and fatal crashes listed by the SFPD reports, and this makes sense. The faster a driver is going, the more likely a crash is to occur. A driver has a smaller scope of vision, less time to react, and can't stop the vehicle as quickly. And the human body just can't withstand the additional force as speeds rise. And our pedestrians, all of us, we're incredibly vulnerable to speeds that go above 25 miles per hour. There are a range of studies cited on fatality risks at different speeds, and this graphic shows the most conservative estimate of the risk Fatality rates for seniors are significantly worse. A 70-year-old hit by a 35-mile-an-hour vehicle will experience fatality rates as though the vehicle were going 45 miles per hour of a, of, to a 30-year-old victim. The lines that we see here in San Francisco, the lines, this lines up, excuse me, with what we see here in San Francisco where 50% of our fatalities are seniors year after year. San Francisco wanted to understand dangerous speeds in greater detail especially as the city embarks on creating a comprehensive speed management plan and we really believe that having a city-led speed management plan will be how our city can dramatically accelerate our progress towards vision zero so over the course of eight months this year we surveyed speeds on 47 blocks touching every single district at a variety of street types, including different levels of changes that have happened over the last couple of years and improvements. And we learned a lot. And this is why we created this report for all of you to understand what kind of efforts we've made and what kind of things we can be doing in San Francisco. First off, we saw that speeds are happening everywhere, in every district. And this photo is from a speed survey in the Bayview where these volunteers clock drivers going in the high 40s when the speed limit is only 25. This graphic shows how the arterial roads with four and five travel lanes that we surveyed are by far the worst. And on these four and five travel lane roads, because there are so many lanes, pedestrians must contend with vehicles going at dangerous speeds, often four to five times per minute on places like Harrison, Lincoln, and Oak, or as many as 30 times each minute on Lake Merced Boulevard. It's no coincidence that a lot of these four and five arterials are also designated as high-injury corridors. In our surveys, we found a remarkable comparison in south the market, Folsom and Harrison Streets, only one block away and have similar curb widths and serve one-way travel, and both were five travel lanes. But Folsom has had a suite of changes in the last couple of years, now down to three travel lanes compared to Harrison's five. And it's a remarkable difference. Right now, a person walking on Harrison will contend with dangerous speeds over 20 times as often as Folsom. Folsom is showing the path for how San Francisco become a safe speed city. We have too many streets like Harrison Street. Fulton Street is another good example. Our members here, Paul and Susan, they moved into Folsom in July of 2020 and on the very first day, they witnessed a crash right outside their house. They have pictures of many crashes happening here. These are just a few. On Father's Day, Paul was out pushing his one-year-old daughter in a stroller, and they were almost hit by a speeding driver while crossing Fulton to get to Golden Gate Park. But let's talk about some good news. In the Tenderloin, we got neighborhood-wide 20-mile-per-hour speed limits in April of 2021 and we found in our surveys lower speeds than any other neighborhood we surveyed. Lowering speeds plus changing speed design through a quick build program is making a difference, and the Tenderloin is showing us a path forward. San Francisco residents are asking for what we're telling you about today. They do want us to become a safe speed city. We learned through these surveys that people have gotten, that speeding has gotten worse, In recent years and it's really true given the national trends and before I pass this presentation on to my colleague Marta Lindsay I just want to give a special thanks to the more than 50 San Francisco residents and community-based organizations that made our speed surveys possible thank you
7: thank you
8: all right good morning commissioners my name is Marta Lindsay I'm with walk San Francisco and see here so yes the issue of speed is real and it's pervasive but our speed surveys also showed how lower speed limits and street design changes are working to bring down speeds so this is great news there are solutions here Um, in fact there's a lot of solutions this is a list of what the city has at its disposal right now I'll give you one second here And the city is using all of these solutions, but how much varies pretty widely. So our report, when you dig into this, goes through each of these with an assessment of how well the city is using each solution and where there's opportunities. The report also looks at additional approaches like slow streets, which we've been talking a lot about, traditional enforcement and education, and future solutions like speed safety cameras. Oh, thanks. Um, But our recommendations today are focused on what can happen right now, especially with the urgency needed to save lives And as the city approaches its 10 years into its vision zero commitment And again great news. There's a lot that can happen right now So here are our recommendations as the city develops this comprehensive speed plan Number one reducing those speed limits. So the passage of Assembly Bill 43 in 2021 was really groundbreaking, allowing the city to lower speeds, uh, speed limits by five miles an hour on commercial streets. And now, as of early November, high-injury streets and streets with high numbers of pedestrians are also eligible. So that's great news. There is no faster, cheaper solution out there than this. We saw the results in the Tenderloin that Jody touched on, and other cities have shown how this brings down those most dangerous outlier speeds. And it comes down to this, right? 90% of people are going to survive if they're hit at 20 miles an hour. Uh, This will save lives. So we need the city to solve this backlog problem with signs that's holding up faster progress with the 35 street segments that are already in motion. We also think the city needs a plan and a commitment for completing all allowable reductions by December, 2024, because again, there's a lot more it can do now. So Jody mentioned Folsom street and that showed us we need to bring down the number of lanes on those dangerous four and five lane arterial streets, especially one ways to bring down those speeds. Then there's the other streets near those arterials and near freeways, schools, and senior centers, as well as slow streets and streets with a lot of pedestrians. These need extra layers of speed solutions applied consistently. So we really urge this plan to detail how, when, and where these different street types will get these, the needed and appropriate suite of speed solutions. All right, I know we're gonna be hearing later today from um, the Department of Public Health about the latest with the high-injury network. And as the city tackles the high-injury network, whether it's a capital project or quick-build project, speed solutions need to be applied to the max. That means like the lane reductions we were just talking about, but also left turn calming, traffic signal timing, and more. So we know as much as we wish, everything can happen all at once, Um, so it should happen first in equity priority communities. And the Tenderloin is just, again, such great news for us, such progress has been made there, but we need to bring that to some other neighborhoods, especially the Bayview, Excelsior, South of Market, uh, right away. Number five here, so with this plan, we need uh, some metrics and a lot more transparency with what's happening with speed. There's a lot of gaps right now with the public data around speed. We also need safety projects to get evaluated consistently and quickly. So if they're not working, they're not doing enough to bring down speed, they can be improved. And we need some citywide metrics to track this broader progress toward becoming a truly safe speed city. So, Vision Zero, flashing back. There are more than a dozen city agencies and departments signed on to this, but right now it feels as though Vision Zero has fallen off the collective city's radar, despite a strong Vision Zero action strategy adopted last year. There's no longer a Vision Zero committee of this body here, and the Vision Zero task force uh, meets only sporadically. So we we need leadership from the top, and we need every agency to really refocus on Vision Zero beyond SFMTA and Department of Public Health. Fire Department, Department of Public Works, SFPD have especially key roles. And speaking of SFPD, uh, I know much has been discussed in the last months about the dramatic drop in traffic enforcement. I looked up the September stats and there were just 130 speeding tickets given citywide in September. So that's less than five per day. So we need SFPD to enforce dangerous speeds with enough frequency and visibility and in the most impactful locations so drivers know there can be consequences in our city. And SFPD should focus their resources, their limited resources on the most dangerous driving behaviors like speeding, not low level offenses like broken tail lights. So this is from the city's telematics report from 2021. Uh, Take a moment here. Um, This shows that the really disturbing trends that were already lifted up in uh, the city report a couple years ago have continued. We have thousands of egregious speeding violations by city employees every day. So this is clearly one really great way every agency can play a role in Vision Zero and making city uh, employees accountable for dangerous speeds and imagining what that, how that shifts the tone on our streets as well. So, and then think about this as the city starts to really uh, reduce speed limits on many, many streets and takes more actions on speed, there's a real opportunity here around education to help really cultivate and affirm new norms on our streets. And again, be that safe speeds city and be known for that. So, Again, the good news is San Francisco can really lead on this issue, we can be a safe speed city. We've got the solutions, we've got them now, and San Franciscans really care about this issue. And I wanna really acknowledge there's a lot of great work by the SFMTA to build on. So we're counting on this commission here to monitor the status of the city speed management efforts and fund the solutions that are gonna slow our streets. So thank you for this opportunity to present and um, As Supervisor Mandelman mentioned, I really hope we see you at World Day of Remembrance for road traffic victims on Sunday at four, just right outside. Thanks.
0: Thank you. Ready for questions from supervisors? Comments, questions, or did you want to? (laughs) Okay, all right. Um, uh, Commissioner Ronan.
9: Thank you. Um, I'm wondering if there's an MTA representative here to talk about, hi. (laughs) <laughs> come on, come on up. Um, I'm wondering why it's taking so long to implement the lower speed limits on the streets that have been de- identified
10: as priorities. Great. Yeah, and first, uh, Jamie Parks with SFMTA Livable Streets Director, and happy to answer that question. I'm going to start by saying that I'm actually really proud of the work that our sign staff has done in implementing the 20 mile an hour zones. Uh, you know, in 2021, we installed 20 mile an hour zones throughout the Tenderloin using a very aggressive interpretation of the California vehicle code. When Assembly Bill 43 passed, we installed our first corridor on January 4th. We've installed 21 corridors to date, an order of magnitude more than any other California city, and we're on track to do another 30 in the next year. So. While there's absolutely more that we can do to accelerate it, I'm I'm actually really happy with the progress that we've made so far.
9: So congrats, that's great. And and you know, leading is what we like to do here in San Francisco. Yes. So that's wonderful. But I um I if there is an ability to speed it up and, and from the report, I can't remember the number, but um, we just heard that there are a number of streets that it's taking quite a long time for. If you wanted to clarify again the numbers, I'm sorry I didn't take notes um, of the number of streets that, to, given the wide success in the Tenderloin, why we're like, is there anything to prevent us from going out there and doing that today? Like, what what needs to take so long?
10: Uh, so our our pace is. Our, our pace to date has been driven by capacity and making sure that while we're doing this, we're not losing sight of all of the other priorities that we've set for ourselves and being leaders in, you know, installing bike racks, installing quick builds, and everything else that that our crews do. So it's a, so. But I, in terms of the 20 mile an hour zones in business districts, we are definitely looking at ways that we can accelerate beyond doing even, you know, 30 in the next year, which is our current commitment. Um, and then I do want to say that there is a second part of the assembly bill that applies to beyond business districts, safety corridors. Our understanding is that it doesn't go into effect until 2024. There's a couple pieces of that law, including that the Judicial Council needs to produce an online adjudication system for tickets, which hasn't happened yet. Uh, but we will definitely be ready. To, you know, the day after that second portion of AB 43 goes into effect, we'll be ready to take advantage of it.
9: I guess, could you walk us through what it takes? Like, what are the steps that need to happen in order to yeah. change the speed of a
11: street?
10: Sure. So there are a couple of different ways it happens, but in general, speed limit, speed limit setting is governed by California law under the California Vehicle Code. And so it does require that we go to the SFMTA board, and so they need to adopt different speed limits. And in many cases, that requires, under state law, for us to do an engineering and traffic study or survey to show that the recommended speed is appropriate for that street. And then after adoption by the SFMTA board, it requires our city crews to go out and install signs and new posts along the corridor. In the case of 20 mile an hour zones, um, just trying to make sure that the treatment is as effective as possible. We've actually doubled the spacing of the signs to every eighth of a mile, so every two blocks. Uh, which is a lot more signs, a lot more new posts, but we've we felt that that's really useful for effectiveness.
9: And if we could hear from WACSF, you know, what what do you think? What do you think about the speed and the fact that there's we're estimating thirty additional, um, twenty mile zones in the next
4: year.
6: I do want to commend the SFMTA for the work that they did in the Tenderloin. That was a great example of what really can be done in a neighborhood-based way. And so thank you very much for all that work that you did there. And we really did work hard for AB 43 to pass. So we saw this, or we do see this, as a very low-cost way to get results. And if there is anything that we can be doing to speed up the sign placement, or help the MTA to do the surveys before putting up the signs. Then I think that that is something that we should look into as a collective city agency.
9: Yeah, and I I just ask and 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 bring this up because to me that's you know among the most effective ways of saving lives, and you know it's just been a horrible year for you know traffic. Homicides, basically, and I, I every time I get that alert on my phone, it's just, gosh, it's just so awful. And so it just seems like a relatively easy, relatively inexpensive, extremely effective way to save lives. And so should be among, you know, our, our top priorities. And we should have even. And 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 again, I recognize the achievements, and I'm very grateful for them, but want us to redouble our efforts to be even more ambitious um, especially when it comes to such an effective strategy so that that would be that would be my my two cents
10: thank you appreciate that
0: thank you uh, commissioner ronan
12: commissioner marr thank you so much uh jody and marta and walk sf for all of your Incredibly important advocacy and work, and, and for, for this report that you presented today, um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, w- I wanted to hi- say that this kind of comes at a time when when I and the Sunset District community are real have been really grappling with I think what was a, the most recent traffic fatality in the city, uh, an, an elderly um, Sunset resident, you know, at, around three weeks ago was was crossing in a crosswalk at. 24th in, in Santiago with her friend on their daily walk and and they were hit and killed by a a, a vehicle you know that was traveling at unsafe speeds and ran a stop sign and, and once who he um, uh, tragically passed away on on the scene and um and her friend is still in, in recovering you know from critical condition from her injuries so um uh, and I think your report really highlights the, that, even though there's been a lot of work done since the city has passed, and a lot of very important work done, you know, by our, di- our city agencies, SF, MTA, and others, and continual advocacy from WalkSF and the community that, you know, we're, we're just not making the progress um, that we need to make for our, uh, since we passed the Vision Zero policy in, in 2014. So, um, um, I, yeah, and you know, I did, also did want to say that um, we 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 held a, a neighborhood meeting um, last week as a follow up to the tra- this horrific traffic fatality. And I want to thank um, you know SFmTA, um, T- Tom McGuire for for being there, and also Terval Station Captain Yick and the District Attorney's Office, and also thanks to WaASF for working with us to organize that meeting. That was important, I think, for the neighborhood just to get updates on the investigation and, and more importantly to to talk about. Um, how we could prevent tragedies like this from happening in in our district and throughout the city. Um, so um, I, you know, this this incident that happened, you know, um, in three weeks ago, uh, the the tragic incident was um, at an inter- intersection that is between Lincoln High School and McCoppin Square, where there's there's a Macapin Square has a has a lot of fam- and has a lot of families with children because the Parkside Library is there and a lot of seniors there visiting. So. Um, as, as tragic and horrific as the accident was, um, it could have been much worse. if um, more people were in that intersection, especially seniors and, and, and children. So I did have some questions about the, the safe speeds around schools and senior facilities, because I know that's been a focus of WACSF, and we made some took some important steps. I'm, I'm just was looking at the report. I remember in 2012 when we lowered the speed limit around schools to 15 miles per hour. Is that yeah, and then in 2020, I think with former President Ys, under his leadership, you know, we took some steps to, to lower speeds around senior facilities. Um, but again, as um, your report highlights, and a, as the incident that, that we suffered three weeks ago in the Outer Sunset highlights, you know, there, there's still a lot more work to be done. So I just wanted to see if you, Jody, if you and Marta could just speak to what more needs to be done, particularly around um, safe speeds around schools and senior facilities.
6: Thank you, Supervisor Mar. And that's exactly what we're saying in terms of the priorities that we need to place here. Our seniors and our children should be the highest uh, top priority that we wanna keep people safe. And so if we can look at the pace and the streets that we are asking the SFMTA to focus on first, because they do have limited resources, we should look at it with our priority uh, communities seniors, children, our equity priority communities, and getting those on the top of the list. So I would hope that a commission like this would start asking what the list of quick builds are for 2023, and if we can start getting a map of where those streets are that have uh, wide streets, high-injury network around our schools, our parks, and our senior facilities. It is really difficult to see that a street like uh, Lincoln Fulton around our parks are still on our high-injury network map
12: Thank you, Jody, and I had a question for Jamie Parks. Can you share an update on um, the implementation of this senior zones um, policy? I think that was enacted in 2020 to to lower speed
10: limits and create safer streets around senior facilities Um, Sure, so I can check back to confirm with this commission, but I believe that every um, speed limit lowering on both school zones for 15 mile an hour and around senior centers has been completed. And our work now is really around the engineering treatments to complement those. And so we are proactively going to every school zone in the city and installing speed humps. And so we know that signs alone um, can't get us the lower speeds that we need. And so, you know, as we lower the speeds, we're now following up with the engineering treatments.
12: Thank you. And for, for the senior zones, um, it does that. How far does that extend? Well, actually, how how are the senior facilities defined, and then how far does the zone extend? I'm just curious because again, this this intersection, Santiago and 24th, where where you know two seniors, you know, were struck by a speeding vehicle in a horrific um, accident. You know, there's a lot of seniors, you know, walking there, but it's not necessarily right next to a um, you know, senior center.
10: Um, I would have to get back with specific details. Usually it's five or 600 feet, but we can get back to you with the specific definition in the code about what is allowed.
12: Okay, thank you. Thanks, Chair.
0: Thank you, Commissioner Maher. Commissioner Melgar.
2: Thank you, Chair Mandelman. Um, I must say I'm very frustrated by our city's um, pace and struck by um, how Uh, in Ms. Madero's presentation you talked about speed limits, you talked about road diets, and you talked about enforcement Um, and Mr. Parks only talked about one thing which was our response to the change in the state law Um, and I would hope that we actually have a much wider response um, because we have been concentrating on areas of priorities, which is um, where there have been a lot of crashes and injuries already, Uh, sort of by definition, uh, my district, which is lower density, um, sort of will always fall behind. Uh, Even though uh, we are home to City College, San Francisco State University, UCSF Parnassus, the Pomeroy Center, there's lots of places uh, where there's lots of bodies, um, and uh, those very large four-lane, six-lane Uh, freeways really. We have at Junipero Serra, Brotherhood Way, Lake Merced Boulevard, even Monterey, which has been reduced to 25 miles per hour, people treat it like a freeway. So I'm really frustrated by, you know, our approach. And, um, you know, one of the things that I keep hearing from folks at the NPA staff is, oh, the state won't let us. And I am wondering, uh, you know because i I don't know how many of you colleagues have been to Alameda across the pond which has a 25 mile limit in the entire island and you know bike lanes everywhere you just feel the difference you know on those commercial corridors and you know everywhere and it is a tourist destination people go to the island to go to the beach and, and you know to surf you um, so they put the 25 mile an hour limit in their transportation element in 2009. And it's like the opposite, right? Instead of like picking out which ones should go lower, they did it all over the island. And then they exempted a couple of corridors which they thought you know, should go a little faster because it was important for transportation for their element. So why can't we do that? Why can't the default be slower um, and then examine you know, a couple of, uh, streets, which we know are, and, and then also, you know, we are going to be talking about our housing element, you know, this afternoon. Um, we have so much room, uh, in my district. If you are on Junipero Serra, standing at the corner where it splits off to 19th Avenue and Junipero Serra, it is so expansive. If we weren't using all of that, uh, land for, uh, you know cars can we use it for something else can we use it for housing i'm just saying you know the the way that we planned our city um 80 years ago is very different than the way we live today um and we are suffering the consequences for it so i am wondering when are not just the sign shop but everything else in our mta is in in our transportation element when is it going to reflect everything else that we're doing and address this and so so i guess that is a question to someone, why can't the default be slower and then exempt certain streets? How is it that Alameda could put it in their housing element and do it and we can't?
0: And and also just before Mr. Park speaks, I mean, MTA will have their own piece of this coming up a little bit later to present more broadly what they're doing around this stuff, but uh, to respond to this particular
10: question. Yes, that's a great question and you know, in general, the default speed limit in San Francisco is also 25 miles an hour, and so there are there are allowances in state law to set default speed limits, and so, you know, a local street in a city is a 25-mile-an-hour speed limit. You don't have to do an engineering and traffic survey for that. It's going below 25 miles an hour to 20 miles an hour, which was the new part of the state law that was created. that. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know we we fought for that bill for several years in Sacramento, and it wasn't everything we hoped for. And the way that it ended up is, it did give us a lot of new authority, but it put some new specific rules on how we can go below 25. So we we can set, and we have set the default speed limit in San Francisco to 25, but going below that is you know requires additional kind of additional legwork.
2: So forgive me. So if the default in San Francisco is 25, why do people go 40 and 50 on Brotherhood Way at Lake Merced and Junipero Serra? So
10: the the default is 25 on a residential street that has no signs on it. So if you are you know on a, in a street in the Richmond or the Sunset that does not have a speed limit sign, the speed limit is 25 by default. There are streets that have higher than 25 mile an hour speed limits, um, such as you know Brotherhood Way. Um, those have been set in the past by state law, and we're looking at opportunities through the, through the, the subsequent changes in the code to, to reduce them. But I think on, a street, on streets like that, it's absolutely critical that it's not be a matter of signs alone. Uh, we, we need some complementary measures rather than just a sign to get people to slow down on, on wide streets, and that's engineering and some sort of system of accountability for drivers.
0: Commissioner Preston.
10: Thank
13: you, Chair Chairman, Andaman, and, and thank you for the presentations. And I, I, I do want to recognize the progress. I mean, I do think through a lot of um, uh, what was sort of experimental work during the pandemic, we've piloted some stuff, particularly with quick builds and things that, that are actually, we, we know enough now to know those things are working, like we have the data on that. So, so that, that is the the positive part of where we are. And then I think, you know, just following up on the comments from some colleagues, it's it's how do we pursue uh, these recommendations with the urgency they deserve. And that's both a funding and a capacity issue, but it's also an issue of will. And, and so I think, you know, the more all of us are making it clear that on behalf of our constituents, we want to see, uh, these recommendations implemented as as quickly as possible I think that's important um, I did want to ask just specifically on the issue around the number of lanes I think like the the Harrison Folsom is such a powerful comparison right there in, in, uh, in uh, the reservoircess district and um, and we had in in district five we had um, Fell is a great example of, of basically, not just creating the bike lane, right, but of reducing that from like a four-lane speedway to by making it three lanes, there's been no, no real impact on emergency response, other other things that are sometimes of concern if you're reducing lanes and just an overall speed reduction. And it's been you know an example of MTA, fire department, neighborhood groups, everyone walk you know walk by collision, everyone working together, and reducing the lanes. And we're trying to do the same thing on Oak, which right now is the speedway, and we're trying to take one of those lanes, and we will uh, as a, as a bike lane. That's a little slowed by the p u c work they're planning and trying to line that that up but i i guess I just did have a broader question on this uh similar to- uh, commissioner malgar's point around like looking at an overall policy on the number of lanes like why do we have four lane five lane roads anywhere in san francisco i mean i i i actually And and I'm wondering if from Walk SF's perspective that's, like I'm just trying to think of, maybe there's an extreme case where on what is effectively a freeway or something, we have to continue that. But is there not a um, just broader policy around lane reductions that would say that over a certain number is an outdated model and it leads to fatalities and speeding and it's just going to be against city policy and we're going to reduce it. I know we're chipping away at them one by one, but it feel, I, I would say as someone who's ch- working to chip away at them one by one, it feels like the kind of issue that we could just say, if we have more than three lanes, that fourth lane is going to be a bike lane or a bus lane or something else, right?
6: I'm glad you asked that question. Um, We are seeing that we can reduce lane volume and it does have to do with just tracking how many cars are going and what the throughput is. SFMTA has been doing that. We did that throughout the the Tenderloin since the Tenderloin is a series of one-way streets and we have seen results. Speeds have come down. The egregious speeds have definitely come down. So if this body is interested in pursuing a policy like that I'm sure that we can work together to establish that. But we are working on streets like Lake Merced and Fulton and Oak and Franklin. That hearing is coming up in a week or so. So we are chipping away, but it would be amazing if we could see this list of all these streets that we have, these multi-lanes fast one way, and we reduce them all to to lower the speeds and to narrow the lanes and to make sure that we're using this so that it is seen as a neighborhood because these are all neighborhood streets
13: is there a barrier and maybe this is for Mr. Parks is there a barrier to doing a to doing lane reductions across the board um under the you know we have these state limitations around the speed reductions and we've been navigating that um so is it just practical considerations around the impact on that particular street, or are we under some uh, regulatory scheme of, of how we go about doing that? Yeah.
10: It's just a practical consideration. And so if, if there were a policy around lane reductions, we would take that into account. Right now, as you said, we, we go street by street and try to make an informed judgment about the number of lanes. Uh, but we do not have a citywide policy generally on number of travel lanes. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to
13: further discuss this and I want to be, you know, respectful of colleagues in there and their districts and what I I can just speak for my district. There's absolutely no reason we need any lane anywhere in district, any, any set of travel lanes anywhere in district five that is more than three. I'd argue you could probably go down to two on virtually everything. Um, Maybe that's not the case, but if, if that is the case and that's a shared sentiment, um it would be great to have that some kind of default around that and then look at if there if there's some specific exceptions i think it would make a huge difference so thank you look forward to talking further about that and also just do want to give everyone a shout out for all the work in the tenderloin everything from the speed reductions to uh the quick build there's obviously a lot more to do but um it's been great to see
7: some of that initial progress thank you thank you commissioner preston commissioner walton Thank you, Chair and I first do just want to thank Walker SF uh, for their work with community, engaging speeds in neighborhoods. I think that you know, a lot of times community can sometimes feel that things are done with them. I mean, without them and to them and not working with them. So I want to appreciate that. Uh, I do agree as we look at, you know, at least what we've been seeing in district 10 with the quick build projects, the addition of speed humps and cushions in certain areas, they have most certainly been helpful. And so looking forward to just to continue work and finding out the right remedies. I know, uh, I think to supervisor Preston's point, during the pandemic, there were a lot of experimentals, experimental strategies that we tried like safe streets, which definitely work, uh, in some communities and have a different type of feeling about them and, and others, but do want to appreciate the work together with community, because I think that piece sometimes gets missing. Um, particularly in certain areas in the Southeast. So thank you for that work. We still have a lot of work to do. I know that particularly around schools, uh, those are where I get most of my complaints is in terms of how fast people are going around schools uh, and in areas where we we definitely have a lot of young people and families. And so we'll continue to work uh, with Walk SF and and all of the organizations that are really pushing for us to get to Vision Zero. But wanted to appreciate you, one, and then also say that there are other things that we will continue to do to support the work so we can get people to slow down. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner
0: Walton. Commissioner Dorsey. Thank you, Chair Mandelman.
13: I just wanted to follow up a little bit on um, issue, a question that Commissioner Marr had asked about... Uh, some of the types of facilities, schools and senior facilities that we would prioritize. Could I I don't know if it's opening up a can of worms to ask where in the city, what streets, what specific neighborhoods you might recommend that SFMTA prioritize in terms of um, lane reduction and speed reduction, what priorities you as uh, Walk SF would identify.
8: So I feel like this, uh, thank you for this... All these are having this um, commonality, which is we need a sy- systematic approach, right, to all the areas near schools, all the areas with a lot of senior centers, um, to these four and five lane roads, to the roads right near those, because that's where people will get out of those roads if there's some traffic and try to cut through the neighborhood, right? And so I feel like this is the, one of the best things we could get out of a new plan, and I think it would speed things up, is like, this is what we're doing on all those streets. This is the toolkit we're bringing to those. Um, And so it's not one street here or there. It's looking again at the whole city and the different types of streets and looking at the high injury network and bringing them, maxing out the solutions at each of those so they have the right things that are gonna bring down speeds on those particular kinds of streets. So that is is the hope and what this report is really trying to get at, and I think, will be how the progress speeds up we don't have to have a hearing about every little bitty thing and again we get towards Vision zero a whole lot faster so that's sort of the thread <laughs> that i wanted to address
14: thank you commissioner dorsey commissioner safai i just want to thank WAC sf for the great work that they're doing um, we have a lot of and have had a lot of pedestrian uh, injuries and some fatalities over the years. We have a little bit of unique in situation where we have four, two, you know, what seem to be former freeways, Alameda Boulevard and Geneva, and they're bound on both sides by freeways, and so people are constantly flying through there. Uh, there were some decisions made by the MTA, and this is where we get into some competing interests where they're doing muni forward, muni forward then sped up the traffic on Geneva. But the work that was needed to slow cars down and add the pedestrian safety was not done. It's finally being done years later. And as a result of that, we had a lot of injuries and fatalities. And I know Jody knows uh, what I'm talking about. It's, It's one of the more horrifying things being a supervisor. I try to tell people when you get a text message or you get an update or an alert and a pedestrian or someone has been hit, Oftentimes it's seniors um, just crossing the crosswalk. Um, So uh, I just, again, thank you. I know that it's hard work, really appreciate it. We've put a lot of work together over the last few years looking at the arterial streets where people are avoiding the main routes and then speeding through the neighborhood. So thank you, Tilly, uh, for supporting us and, and this body and all of you. We've put in a tremendous amount of traffic calming and speed humps and bulb outs and MTA as well. Thank you for your support. So we're going to continue that. Uh, Tilly always asks me, "Do you want to spend your end tip money on anything else?" And I'm like, "Nope. We just we just want to do traffic calming. <laughs> that is it. 100% every single time. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Commissioner Safai, Commissioner Chan.
15: Thank you chair Mendelman I think this question is for Mr. Park says Mr. Park mentioned that um, in your earlier presentation or response to Commissioner Ronan's uh, question in terms of um, how much we do and and you mentioned and I just want to make sure I heard it correctly 30 evaluation and review per year
10: um, we will so we have done 21 21- 20 mile an hour corridors so far this year, and we're committed to another 30 in the next year.
15: And is that an average of 30 per year?
10: Uh, yeah, we're committed to at least at least two corridors per month. It was our commitment after the bill passed, and so this is the first year doing it. But, but that's an ongoing commitment until we're done with the work.
15: And when do we, with with that average of anywhere between 24 and 30, how long would it take?
10: So for the business corridors that we're currently doing, it, you know, we have this additional year to finish the 30 corridors. Beyond that, the state is expanding the definition to additional streets, and we're waiting to see how that shakes out. But that, depending on how many streets fall into that bucket, it's another another couple years. But we need to see what that looks like.
15: Another couple years from the year of 2023 or 2024.
10: I have to get back to you on a specific schedule, but I think it would be, you know, as soon as we finish the business corridors, the very next day we would roll into the additional corridors.
15: Could I also ask the questions on school zone as well? Then it's if if I understand correctly, is is five schools zone per year so far?
10: No. So so we do. We have a variety of different things that we do for school safety engineering, mm-hmm. and so one every. 15 mile an hour zone that can be signed around schools is already there, and so that is complete. And we also have a full time engineer who helps work with schools on different loading issues, and go out and you know adjust the length of their white zone, or help them set up the cones. And um, we also, and but in addition to that, for schools that have you know specific challenges or uh, that haven't been solved. We have a program to do five um, specialized school walk audits per year, and so that's kind of a specialized program for schools that need additional work. And so we will go and meet with the school community stakeholders, um, walk around, identify specific changes, and then we have funding to implement those five per year.
15: And so, uh, how do we speed up five walking audits per year for, for just because five per schools? That's In my opinion, that's very, that's not even one, averaging out one per supervisorial district.
10: Yeah, Um, I think that would be a great conversation with TA staff, particularly with with Prop L. We've been funded at five per year, and we would be open to reconsidering that uh, going forward.
15: Interesting. Thank you. Oh, well, I mean, on that notes, though, then if you're saying that you need more funding, so do you know what your existing funding, like budgeted funding for uh, the yeah. five walking audits?
10: Yeah. We budget a little more than $50,000 per school, which is funding to do the community work itself, but then also the implementation. So that would fund signs, markings, uh, maybe a speed hump or two. Uh, so we budget a little over $50,000 per school. We want to make sure that We not only have the money to talk to people about what they need, but also the money to actually then go ahead and do it. We don't want to do plans that have no money to actually implement.
15: So, But what you're saying is since the implementation of Vision Zero, we never really have a conversation about what we can do really consistently for walking audits for all schools
10: i think it's a great time to reconsider how many walk audits we do per year and we'd be happy to have that, that conversation
15: thank you
0: thank you commissioner chan let's open this item to public comment if there are members of the public who would like to address the board in the chamber feel free to line up to your right or left or if there's one of you just come up
16: Hello, Commissioners. Um, my name is Emily Houston. I live in District 2, and I'm a safe street advocate and photographer. I worked with Walk SF for the past several months to help create the Slow Our Streets report. Um, and I urge you to take immediate action on the recommendations in the report. It's really critical that we keep working on quick builds, speed humps, and other lane reductions as discussed. A 2016 survey by SFMTA found that over 30% of households in San Francisco do not own a car. I'm one of those households. Um, I help run a legacy business in the Outer Sunset. I rely on walking and biking to get to where I need to go. And although the city may be working towards Vision Zero to increase walking and biking, the story on the street tells a very different story. And when I walk across the road, it often feels like gambling with your life. So I really urge you to take the necessary actions um, to help reduce injuries and improve the city's street safety. It shouldn't be dangerous to cross the street and uh, you can't see it, but my t-shirt here says, go slow, yo, so let's do that. Thank you.
7: Good afternoon. My name is Esso Echo. I am a
17: resident of San Francisco on and off for 30 years now. Um, I'm fortunate to be able to talk to you today because I am a victim of car violence. I was hit and woke up in Mission General, paralyzed. Thankfully, I'm here standing and able to talk to you today. Now, with that being said, there are many that are not able to talk today. And the concept is vision zero. And that means zero deaths. Now, however we get there, I think it's important to know that that is the main goal. And I do appreciate your time. I do appreciate San Francisco's working towards a solution. But we need to work faster. Thank you. Thank you. Looks like
0: there's no more comment from folks in the chamber. So let's check our remote public comment.
4: Chair, we have remote public comment. And as a reminder, for those of you listening in, please press star three to make a comment. Going to the first caller now. Welcome caller, your two minutes begins now.
18: Good morning, commissioners. My name's Richard Rothman. I live in district one or as NTA calls us a county and I live near the senior center on 37th. And first, those 25-mile-an-hour signs, cars do not slow down. I've never seen it, well, maybe once or twice. So I don't know why they have the 25-mile-an-hour zone when no cars pay attention to it. And also, uh, we were promised maybe three, four years ago the radar speed signs. You can ask Mr. Parks how long he's told me we were going to get them. And apparently the problem is with Public Works. So maybe you should have a hearing on the relationship between MTA and Public Works because apparently they're holding up the installation of the radar speed sign and see how their relationship is. And second, uh, Mr. Parks mentioned about prioritizing uh, speed humps. Well, a lady died in in May of this year, crossing where the senior senior center is, uh, Supervisor Chan's office, gave them money to do this, put in the speed humps. They haven't done it, and they're telling me it's going to take years, so I don't know how he can say they're prioritizing uh, making safety improvements at senior centers when they're not doing it, so... I don't know what's going on, but you need to have more oversight over MTA, and maybe you need to have the, the Vision Zero subcommittee again, like the former supervisor, Norman Yee, uh, because there's not enough time to talk about these important issues. Thank you.
4: Thank you, caller. Welcome, caller. Two minutes begins now.
19: Thank you. Um, My name is Paul Leal. I'm a member of the Barbary Coast Neighborhood Association, which is located in District 3. Um, Presently, I'm actually the chair of the uh, ECNA Safety Committee, and one of our focus areas for our committee is pedestrian safety. So, I really want to thank Jody and Walk SF for their presentation today. They've really highlighted a very important issue. Industrial safety, is a really serious issue for us because according to the traffic injury mapping system of the Safe Transportation Research and Education Center that's right across the bay from us in UC Berkeley, during the past three years, the number of crashes in our neighborhood is at a rate of 10 times on a per square mile basis of the whole city. In fact, just a few weeks ago, a neighbor of mine was hit by a car by crossing the street at a crosswalk. And as a result, his knee was crushed, causing him to spend several days in the hospital, and he just completed major surgery on his knee. So I personally endorse all the recommendations made by Walk SF today, and I applaud the SFMTA for the progress that it has made. But still, much more needs to be done. Now, of all the... Uh, many recommendations that a walk-up SF has made, I'd like to bring your attention to one of them, and that is enforcement and education. That recommendation's on page 136 of your board packet. I think all of us that witness on a daily basis a constant barrage of traffic violations, such as running through red lights, failing to stop at stop signs, and in my neighborhood, even traveling the wrong way down one way streets. There's an increasing lack of respect for traffic laws and our police commission apparently feels that enforcement of those laws is a low priority. So I'd like today to encourage all the supervisors that are here today to encourage our commission to adjust its priorities. Safety of the residents of San Francisco especially the pedestrians and the tourists who frequent the high-injury network streets such as the Embarcadero are at risk. Thank you.
4: Thank you, caller.
0: I think we went longer.
4: Hello, than- caller. Your 2 minutes starts now.
20: Good morning, Chair Mendelman and Commissioners. My name is Rick Gurley. I've lived in San Francisco for 48 years, currently in Bernal Heights. I'm a member of SF, Families for Safe Streets, and the Bicycle Coalition. The reason I joined all these organizations is because I want to protect people from the rampant traffic violence that is caused by the nonchalant attitude to violations of traffic laws. Across the nation and in San Francisco, people talk about getting tough on crime but they fail to talk about the crime that has already cost the lives of at least 16 San Franciscan pedestrians this year and kills almost 43,000 people each year nationwide. On top of this, there are hundreds of thousands of seriously wounded who carry their scars with them every day for the rest of their lives. Criminals that drive recklessly by speeding Running stop signs and stoplights endanger the lives of thousands. Cycling home from Celebrating Carfree Golden Gate Promenade last week, I personally witnessed drivers running three stop signs, one stoplight, and countless people speeding and parking in the so-called bikeway. This criminality goes unchecked. I have a particular concern about Lake Merced Boulevard, as 18 years ago, I narrowly escaped death where a muni bus driver Ran over me while I was cycling home from work at Lowell. While uh, this injury stole a couple of years from my life and cost the city a few million dollars for my medical bills and damages, nothing has been done to alter the outrageous speed of traffic around this beautiful lake or provide a dedicated path for cyclists. The recommendations to slow cars and speed up quick builds and to consolidate and expand slow streets must be implemented expeditiously. To truly make vision Thank you zero Colin, your time more than up. a slogan. Thanks.
4: Hello, caller. Your two minutes begins now.
21: Yes, my name is Peter Belden. I live in District Ten in Petrero Hill, and I'm uh, Vice President of the Petrero Boosters Neighborhood Association. This topic of uh, safety and livable streets um, is one of the most important in our in the association, in that the largest and most active committee we have is focused on this topic. Um, I personally became uh, interested when two of my closest childhood friends were each killed by traffic crashes. First, Ward Riley when he was 12. And I, I was 12. I remember my mother coming into my room at the time in, in tears and telling me that he was gone. And then a few years later, Jeffrey Robinson when he was 16. Um, so it's just a topic that touches all of us so powerfully. But As WACASF mentioned, other cities know how to solve this and have implemented the policies so we know what works. To Supervisor Ronan's question about what some of the delays are and how we can move faster, I think one important dramatic change that could happen is to use the quick builds as outreach. We implement them with just paint and post because it's fast and it's cheap and it's temporary. So those installations should be done sooner and then the outreach can be done more accurately when it's there so that people can come up and drive on the street, walk on the street, kick the cones, look at the paint, try to park and experience what it is really like and do an accurate measure as opposed to an inaccurate uh, survey in advance of what people think it might be like. Um, the you know, mayor committed to doing quick builds on the remaining 80 miles of the high injury network by 2024. And we are now woefully behind in that, in that process. And so a, a dramatic change, like using the Quick Builders Outreach, is what's needed to get us back on track with the existing commitments that have been made. Um, and finally, I would just encourage everyone to check out a great book, Right of Way, by Angie Smith, that highlights how this, these traffic fatalities disproportionately affect people of color and low-income communities. So this topic really is about
1: Thank you lives,
21: out. but also...
4: Thank you,
22: Hello, caller. Your two minutes begins now. Hello. Uh, My name is Stephen Bingham, and I was a legal aid lawyer at Bay Area Legal Aid for 23 years, Though I lived outside the city. Uh, My daughter was killed, not in San Francisco, but in Cleveland in 2009 by a truck doing a light hook and one of the witnesses said the truck was going as much as 40 miles an hour. So that has all led me to be part of uh, families to say streets in San Francisco and to care deeply about uh, what San Francisco was doing. And my main uh, request is that what you're doing on paper is good, but it's, much too slow there's new federal money um through the uh, bipartisan infrastructure uh act um, that's available to san francisco and some of your critical uh, speed controlling measures aren't going to be completed until 2024 Uh, And that means, just by definition, from what's been going on, that more people in those high-injury networks are going to get killed before those measures are completed. There's no reason why the calendar couldn't be speeded up a year to get um, the different speed control measures that are already in the uh, action strategy to get them implemented sooner. So I really urge you... It is so painful to be part of Families to Say Streets and hear these uh, stories from others. Um, it's the organization no, none of us ever wanted to be part of. And we urge you. Um, the work that Walk SF has done is outstanding. And it's just you, a Your model of uh, everything. Thank you.
4: Thank you, caller. Hello,
23: caller. Your two minutes begin. Hi, um, my name is Eliana Cornet. I've lived in the city for um, almost 15 years. I live in District 5. Um, I'm calling because I want to tell you that it's very critical to do these things. Um, I myself have been the victim of two hit-and-run accidents in the last two years. Um, In the first one, um, a hit-and-run driver hit me, put me in a wheelchair for three months, destroyed my bicycle and um, other horrible, you know, consequences of that. In the second, a hit-and-run driver ran a red light uh, right near Civic Center where I was walking with my um, emotional support dog, hit me first on my hip, which thrust the dog into the path of the car, and the driver hit my dog, killed my dog Eno, and it continued to go. I filed police reports, of course, and called the police. The police came on the first incident, but not on the second. Um, I filed police reports. I've never been contacted by the police. I've never, I've never heard from anyone, and nothing has ever been done. The only support I've gotten in all of this has been from walk-in theft and uh, the Bicycle Coalition, and I I really urge you um, to do something. Yesterday, a friend from Urban Alchemy showed me a picture of an innocent bystander who was brutally killed by a car intending to use a vehicle as a weapon to kill another person but missed and and killed an innocent bystander and dragged them three blocks down in a bloody mess. And and no one from the city came to, to do anything about it, Nothing was done, and please, please, um, this has impacted my life so much. Um, to lose my my beloved service companion, and, and to be in a wheelchair for three months when I'm an able-bodied, normally an able-bodied person was devastating. So please listen to what they're saying because the, our streets are not safe. I look every day. At
1: people, sorry, me yeah, at the other bikes.
4: Hello caller, your two minutes begins now.
24: So supervisors, I want to talk about San Bruno Avenue. It took me 25 years to get a traffic light and it wasn't a normal traffic light. Again and again, everything takes years it's like getting the entitlement to build a home or something, eight to 10 years. But when it comes to traffic lights and improving San Bruno Avenue, it takes 20 years. I know we have somebody that represents San Bruno Avenue, but that person does nothing. We have a crosswalk at Salton by the Walgreen. It hasn't been painted for over four years. This nonsense must stop. Vision Zero does not exist on San Bruno Avenue. That is from Silver all the way down to Paul Avenue, especially, and beyond. Stop talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Thank you very much. Thank you.
4: Hello, caller, your two minutes begins now.
25: Go ahead, caller. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, my name is Jia and I live in D10. I worked with the Department of Elections as a poll worker coordinator. And when con- coordinating poll worker placement, we have to consider the transportation options of the poll worker and where the poll worker lives. Though San Francisco had over 500 polling stations this last November election, many poll workers high schoolers, and seniors among those who do not have access to a personal vehicle could not serve a polling place five blocks away. Why? Because there's a dangerous freeway or a five-lane road between. I coordinated the D7, D10, and D11 districts, And I can say, at least for poll workers here, service in our democracy was not equitable as a result of wide, fast, and dangerous roads. Thank you.
4: Thank you, caller. Hello, caller, your two minutes begins now. Hello, I'm Cara, and I am a San Francisco resident I agree with and support uh, Walk SF and the Vision, Vision Zero. I believe that there should be reduced
23: speeds along the Davis and Castro Corridor. I have personally seen
4: several people almost get hit, and several members of my neighborhood have gotten hit on that street. And I think this highly impacts all BIPOC communities in and around San Francisco and I'm in agreement of additional stop signs, lights, and less signalization within San Francisco. Thank you, caller. Hello, caller, your two minutes begin.
26: My name is Paul Rivera. I'm a District 1 resident. I live on Fulton Street and 12th Avenue. My family was featured in the Heather Knight article this morning.
17: Um,
26: Since moving into my house, I've witnessed over 20 plus accidents. I witnessed a car accident right outside my house the day we moved in. I had a speeding car crash into my neighbor's house as it was speeding down Fulton, trying to make the light at Park Presidio. In the last few weeks, I've witnessed a car accident on Park, Park Presidio and Fulton One of two crosswalks I used every day. The other was on 10th Ave and Fulton, where a car destroyed a traffic light. And on Father's Day weekend, there were three accidents on four days. And I was, as I was crossing the street with my daughter and dog, I almost became the fourth. I'm pleading with you all to take some urgency here before more people get hurt and more lives are lost. Thanks to Walk SF for your advocacy here. I really appreciate it.
4: Thank you, caller. Hello caller, your two minutes begins now.
11: Good morning, my name is Naj Daniels and I am a San Francisco resident. I would like to just state that I appreciate Walk SF and Vision Zero, the job that you are doing to ensure the safety of our city. But I would like to appreciate the time that you are taking in order to roll out the different add-ons around the city. I think that the timing that you're taking is necessary because the outreach that needs to be done to the community to even the drivers I know that drivers are, are, are the villain a lot of times in these stories there we need to make sure that we hear the voices of everyone the community drivers walkers bikers everyone needs to have a voice and it takes time there are often um, quick builds, quick projects that take place and then unattended unintended effects that happen and clog traffic congestion, um, especially specifically speaking to what happened on Evans between Caesar Chavez and Third Street. I, I, I take this route every day. It used to be a five minute drive, but because of the pilot project or the changes, they, it is now a 20-minute drive. There is traffic congestion all the time. And although it may be safer for bikes, I believe that it has unintendedly made it unsafe for drivers. So I do want it to make sure that we are making it safe for everyone that is utilizing this city.
4: Thank you. Thank you, caller. Checking for any additional public comments on this item? Chair, we are finished.
0: All right. Public comment on item 8 is closed. Um, thank you, uh, exec- Executive Director Medeiros, uh, Ms. Lindsay, um, and SF, and to everyone who called in. And we will um, move
1: on to our next item. Mr. Clerk, can you please call item 9? Item 9, Vision Zero, San Francisco Department of Public Health, 2022, Vision Zero, High Injury Network. This is an information item
0: exciting news on this that um, I believe we have a 2022 update to the High Injury Network, uh, which we've been asking for, for a little while. Is Devin Morris around?
17: Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay, we can hear you. Yes. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna share my screen here. Boy. Okay, can you all see my presentation?
0: Um, no, yes,
17: we can. Yes, okay, all right, great. Uh, good morning, commissioners, my name is Devin Morris. I am an integrated business assistant analyst with the Center for Data Science at the Department of Public Health. Uh, joining me today is Seth Pardo, the director for the Center for Data Science. Today we'll be giving a presentation on the latest update to the city's Vision Zero High Injury Network. San Francisco was the first city to introduce high-injury corridors in 2011. The idea originated with the observation that injuries, due to the way our built environment is designed, tended to cluster along particular streets and that those streets had a a disproportionate share of traffic injuries. The first Vision Zero high-injury network was released in 2015 as part of the city's original vision, Vision Zero Action Plan. In 2017, we undertook our first update using new data from our transportation injury surveillance system known as TIS. The plan was to update the network in 2020 using data from 2016 to 2019. However, due to disaster service worker activations for the COVID-19 pandemic and staff turnover, we were were delayed releasing a new network. So CDS is a new section within DPH and continues to staff up. DPH is still committed to Vision Zero and we're working internally to try to speed up the process uh, by which we update our TIS linkage and uh, release network updates. DPH provides the Vision Zero High Injury Network as another tool partner agencies can use to help prioritize resources on city streets that have high numbers of crashes resulting in severe injuries and death. Today has been used to help target enforcement, education, and safety improvements. Projects that relied on data from the network include crosswalk daylighting and speed rejections throughout the Tenderloin, signal improvements, and other traffic calming projects. So what makes our network unique is that the Department of Public Health leverages data from Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, the only level one trauma center serving the city, and also owned and operated by the Department of Public Health. We link patient data from the hospital's trauma registry to ambulance data to get crash locations. This data set is then linked to police crash reports using common data elements such as name, date of the crash, date of arrival at the hospital, date of birth, and crash location. After the linkage is complete, we end up with three sources of injury data. Unlinked victims that we only find in police crash reports, patients at the hospital that we are able to link to a police report, and unlinked patient data from the hospital that we have no linked police report for. Findings from our linkage using 2013 to 2015 TIS data found that people lacking police reports were more often to be cyclists, male Hispanic or black and less often motor vehicle occupants compared to police reports. Police officers were more likely to classify an injury as severe compared to hospital staff. However, they are also more likely to miss severe and critical injuries such as internal bleeding. An additional finding with severe and fatal injuries are overly concentrated in communities of concerns, uh, now known as equity priority areas where underserved communities have traditionally lived. Using a combination of police and hospital datasets allows us to do three things. One, we can avoid under-reporting bias for certain transportation modes such as cyclists. Two, we can avoid geographic bias and under-reporting of crashes to the police department. And three, we can correct injury severity using clinical assessment of injury from the hospital. Where data sets can be linked, we update the injury severity based on the hospital definition of a severe injury, which is either admittance to the hospital and or an injury severity score greater than 15. In our latest update of TIS, using five years of data from 2017 through 2021, 35% of police classified severe injuries were downgraded to not severe based on the hospital's definition. 21% of others visible injuries were upgraded to being severe, while 12% of complaint of pain, the lowest injury category on police reports were upgraded to severe injuries based on the hospital's definition. Despite the large number of police severe injuries being reclassified, the change in the other two less severe categories leads to a net increase in the number of severe injuries in our combined police and hospital data set compared to just using police data by itself. The yellow slice in the pie chart in in the middle left is showing that 22% of our severe injury data set within TIS can only be found using patient data from the hospital. The smaller pie chart shows, that, shows the breakdown by mode of those unreported injuries. Almost half are pedestrians and cyclists. The right pie chart shows a breakdown by mode of our final TIS data set that went into developing the high injury network. Like our 2017 update, over half the input injuries into the 20, 2022 update of the network are vulnerable road users. The focus of the high-injury network continues to be on corridors where we see high numbers of severe and fatal injuries. Although the following slide shows one network, the following slides show one network, it is possible to further stratify it by specific transportation modes and sort by rank. Uh, this is data that DPH will be sharing with other city partners uh, when we are able to. Part of this update process was establishing a technical advisory committee made up of staff from several agencies throughout the city. Uh, given how drastic the pandemic and telecommuting have changed travel patterns, the committee looked at three different alternatives, a pre-pandemic map using three years of data from 2017 to 2019, a pandemic map using three years of data from 2019, 2020, and 2021, and a compromised network using five years of data from 2017 through 2021. The committee felt that both the pre-pandemic and pandemic alternatives did not reflect current conditions. The pandemic alternative had corridors and heavily trafficked tourist sites and employment areas dropped out while using only the pre-pandemic map overweighed older crashes and may not be accounting for newer safety projects or changes in tra- uh, crash patterns. Ultimately, the committee decided on using fi- a five-year approach and modifying the criteria for inclusion on the corridor uh, on- of quarters onto the network to account for using a longer time period of crash data. So essentially what the network is showing are street corridors that have had a minimum of at least three people killed or severely injured within a three-block radius of one another during a five-year time period. There are some limitations with this analysis. Um, Our crash data covers five years, the earliest year being 2017. Um, That's almost six years ago. Safety projects recently completed may not be reflected yet in the network. Examples might include the Vannis BRT, protected cycle tracks on Barc Darrow, or vehicle restrictions on market. The network is not a probability of risk. It is not being normalized by volume to generate a rate of crashes, as it's difficult to obtain accurate citywide volume data across all transportation modes in the city. Using only the most severe injury outcomes, not normalized, focuses the network on where people are being killed and severely injured. However, it may not include streets with high numbers of less severe injury crashes. They're also limited in the level of detail we're allowed to release for hospital crash data due to the Health Insurance Portability and uh, Accountability Act. Seth and I are working with DPH's privacy compliance officer at the Data SF team and the city's attorney office to figure out what exactly we'll be able to release to the public in the near future. So this is our latest iteration of the Vision Zero High Entry network. It continues to be concentrated on the Tenderloin, Zoma, Mission, Baby Hunters Point, Western Edition, um, outside of the few major arterials like 19th Ave, uh, Cary Boulevard, Lincoln Ave, Fulton Street, severe and fatal injuries are less frequent and more widely dispersed in the west side of the city. Uh, we also continue to see a shift towards the southeast side of the city due to the hospital-only crashes. So this is zoomed in to the Tenderloin admission. let leave that up for a little bit. Here's down on the southeast. Uh, East side of the city, so Bayview's Hunter Point, Hunter's Point. And this map is showing the southwest side of the city. Um, so there, I apologize, I had to go through these kind of quickly. There is a link uh, to an interactive public map that's provided on page 10 of this slide deck. And um, we'll also be posting on the Vision Zero website. So this map is showing what's been added and removed from the network. 60, 62% of the new network overlaps with our 2017 Vision Zero High Injury Network. Green are streets that have been remained, mostly concentrated in the Tenderloin emission and along major arterials like 19th, Bayshore, Lombard. Red streets have been removed. Noble streets include JFK, which was closed for part of this data set period. Brannon, uh, which is converted to a two-way street. Jared, parts of Sunset and Alamany. Orange streets have been added. Uh, noble additions include Ocean, Third uh, Street near the Chase Center, uh, and additional streets within the Bayview-Hunters Point neighborhood. So streets can come on and off the network for a variety of reasons, including changes in street engineering and police enforcement or changes to the methodology and underlying crash data used to generate the network. We're committed to working with the MTA to better understand what safety improvements have been recently completed and evaluate their impact on corridors that have dropped off or remained. Um, There is some difficulty comparing this network to the previous one, given the the need to use five years of crash data and a different cut point to account for changes caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. We also made the the decision to no longer automatically qualify streets with a fatality in this version of the network, given MTA's new rapid response program that tries to quickly address engineering issues immediately after a traffic fatality occurs. Uh, Finally, because we are using severe and fatal crashes, which are relatively rare events, it's possible some streets that barely qualified on the previous network may not be included in this network. Um, we look forward to continually evaluating this network and to better understand what has dropped off and what has been added. So, here are some high level statistics. The 2022 network captures 68% of severe and fatal uh, injuries in our TIST data set and 61% of all police reported crashes, regardless of severity and only covers 12% of the street miles. Is currently capturing 74% of fatalities we've seen since September this year. Um, I should note that our 2017 network captured roughly 75% of severe and fatal injuries on 13% of street miles. Uh, This new network may indicate severe and fatal crashes are less likely to be distributed in linear patterns along street corridors, and may also reflect changes in crashes and traffic patterns, especially during the COVID pandemic. DPH will monitor this as if it's monitored monitor to see if this is an emerging trend, um, emerging trend as we continue to evaluate this map and add future years of crash data. Finally, the 2022 network continues to be overrepresented in equity priority communities. These communities account for roughly 29% of San Francisco street miles, but have 38% of severe and fatal traffic injuries, and contain uh, 44% of the latest network's mileage of that, I'll hand it off to Seth.
27: Um, So I wanna also thank Devin for his work on this. I also wanna reiterate that Devin's work has been quite heroic uh, over the past couple of years to make sure that we have been able to maintain and persist in doing these analyses for this work, uh, despite being severely um, limited in our capacity due to our response for the uh, emergency response for the pandemic. So my, my main uh, appreciation goes to Devon today. Uh, second, I wish to also uh, thank WALK SF for their advocacy and their work. The uh, evaluations that you have done are remarkable and are deeply appreciated. Um, I want to return to the board here to see if there are any questions you'd like to take at this time before handing it off to my colleague, Brian
0: not seeing any comments or questions so let's continue
27: okay and with that then i hand it off to brian liang for presentation on the 2022 safe streets eval report oh
0: nope i don't think so that's that's item 10 right
27: Ah, yeah hold up okay
0: um thank you um so if there are no comments or questions on the high injury i guess so my question would be how What's the cadence of this likely to be going forward of updates to the map?
27: I believe Devin's still on the line, but we, uh, our usual cadence is every three years. Every three years? hmm And um,
0: so the methodology changes, but the, but the methodology for the
27: map changes between maps, right? It shouldn't. Okay. Uh, this was an unusual time frame since we had because uh, it was five. Dramatic traffic pattern changes due to the pandemic.
0: Okay. All right, um, let's open this item to public comment. Thank you.: Thank you. Um, if folks in the chamber want to line up or just come up?
6: Good morning, <laughs> Commissioners. My name is Jody Medeiros, and I'm the Executive Director of Walk San Francisco, and first I do want to commend uh, Department of Public Health, Seth and Devin, and realizing that there has been a difficult last two years. Um, I also do want to commend the agency. San Francisco is known nationwide and how we do do this work and create our high injury network map, so I do want to just say thank you and being a, a leader. and. Um, I'm so happy that this is updated. We've been waiting for this for a very long time. This really does drive the work of the SFMTA in knowing which streets do need updating and changing. And what is really hard to see when we do see that map is that a lot of streets haven't come off, but even more have been added. And so that is um, something that we need to do and work on more rigorously, Uh, particularly the Bayview neighborhood. I think that that had the most streets added since we last had a 2017 um, update. So in 2021, the city did commit through its vision zero action strategy to committed to designing, touching, improving all streets on the high injury network by vision zero 2024. And we know from SFMTA's evaluations that are coming up, their quick bill program is working. And this is a very low-cost way to improve our streets for safety. And so I want to ask you, commissioners, that we are giving SFMTA and the city agencies everything they need as quickly as possible to approach our high-injury network now that we know we have all these new streets on there, and giving them and the agency coordination that it's going to take in order to get all streets touched by 2024. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Do we have
28: anyone else in the chain? Looks like we do. Hello, commissioners. Uh, My name's Nick. I work for Walk San Francisco, and I'm a recent graduate of San Francisco State. Uh, During my time there, I was forced to interact with two uh, arterial highways that surround the campus, uh, 19th, which is still on the High Injury Network and Lake Merced Boulevard. And on a weekly basis, I was, forced to witness countless students um, interact with dangerous speeds. And I think it's important to ask ourselves, what is the value of a human life? And I think while that might be an uncomfortable and weird you know, thing to put a monetary value on a human life, I think it would help the transportation department in their allocation towards resources towards Vision Zero. Because when you put a value on a human life, it is clear as day that the, that the Benefits of these traffic calming programs severely outweigh the costs. And while I, commend San while I commend SFMTA's effort to traffic calming, I think it's time to ramp things up and uh, make Vision Zero no longer a fantasy or a vision, but a reality. Uh, I think other cities have nearly accomplished this, and I think it's time that we catch up. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Next speaker.
29: Hi, my name is Sarah Benton, and I'm homeless on purpose for the last 22 years hiding um, an accident that I had, a DUI I had, driving a minibus. I don't have the information that you guys have. I can't get on the internet. I can't talk to my kids, and within, within the last two weeks, these are the glasses that's been, eyeglasses that's been broken in my hotel room. Okay? I have no rights. I'm nobody. Okay? In November last year, I went to Kaiser and Kaiser rammed a a GPS in my arm. I get assaulted with incorrect, mean, awful information on everybody's phone. I'm in danger at all times and I I want it out. I can't talk to my kids. I have no life. I'm called bitches, motherfuckers. I'm not crazy, and I want to be just like everybody else. They put a warrant out for me for reward on robbing me. They took my storages and all my cars, and these are the driver's licenses that they sent in. They're four and five years apart. I need help. This is a muni Muni ID that took me almost 11 years to get. I'm assaulted. I'm lied on And I want this crap out of my arm. And I want to be able to talk to my kid. On this right here, it says I'm 5. I'm 5'11 on my driver's license. I'm 5'6 from being poisoned. I want this out of my arm. I want to be... treated like a human being like everybody else i'm not on dope and there's a camera in my room
1: thank you sir
29: thank you
0: if we have any other public comment on this item in the chamber folks come forward looks like we don't let's see if we have any remote public comment
4: chair we have a couple comments let me go to the first caller a caller your 2 minutes begins
24: now so uh, the board of supervisors i want you all to focus on san bruno avenue because the business is there during the first spiraling of the economy in 2009 10 and 11 and now during the pandemic has generated millions of dollars and given to the city. And the city has not treated San Bruno Avenue with respect. So people get injured, really. And I've seen people who get injured, they don't want to get into the ambulance because they know they'll get a high bill when they're taken to the hospital. And we haven't had one single meaningful meeting so that the people from the Portland District can give you input. What the planning department does, and what MTA does, is do things remote control, Try to remove our parking meters without consulting the constituents. These long, drab meetings is nothing but a dog and pony show. And the San Francisco County Transportation Authority has failed San Bruno. And I think the federal government has to be informed that the monies are not spread in a meaningful manner.
1: Thank you, caller. Your time is up.
24: We talk about racial equity. Thank you, I caller.
4: Hello, caller. Your two minutes
30: begins now. Hi, this is Martin Munoz. I'm a tenant in District Five. Um, I'm primarily a pedestrian, so I really want to appreciate Walk SF's great work, um, you know, throughout the pandemic and and just um, tr- trying to get all these improvements that have happened during the pandemic to become permanent. Um, I am horrified to see the vision zero map. Um, We're almost two years until we're supposed to be at vision zero. and We're never going to get there at this rate. So I I guess the reason I'm calling is, is just to suggest a couple of things to the FFCTA first um, Berkeley just did no right turn on red citywide. We should be doing that. Uh, There's no reason why pedestrians should be, um, Facing the uncertainty of whether someone's going to turn right into them while they're walking, while they have the right of way. Um, in a city as dense as San Francisco, we should be able to walk and not fear getting run over by a car. Secondly, I want to um, support the efforts of the MTA um, and the CTA in funding and, and hopefully increasing the funding um, for our quick build projects that have proven to be very, very successful at getting people um, improvements quickly. Uh, with low-cost solutions. Finally, I want to um, applaud WOC-FF, um, again, for their incredible success with um, Prop J and um, and Prop L in getting that passed. Clearly, voters want these improvements, and they want them now. Um, the resounding success of these Safe Street propositions that many of you in this chamber supported um, just shows there's an appetite in San Francisco for... Um, Protected bike lanes, for car-free spaces, for walkable um, amenities, um, for transit funding, and of course, you're the agency, um, the SFCTA, essentially that makes sure that that gets funded. So, um, again, I'm calling in just to commend Walk SF for their work, and then also to urge thank the board you, to do the, you know, the low-hanging fruit thing. Okay, thank you.
4: Hi, caller. Your two minutes begins now.
31: Good morning, Supervisors. Roland um, Robertson, San Jose. I did click on the link um, in the presentation and I'm looking at the Vision Zero High Insurance Network and I, I find it somewhat disappointing. It's just a bunch of blue lines. Um, so, my first remark would be that it would be very helpful if we could identify the hot spots in there that we need to focus on by, you know, potentially um, accumulating um, injuries or fatalities in a particular spot and, and take it from there and uh, prioritize where we're heading forward with this. Now, my personal experience in San Francisco is um, attempting to transfer from Caltrain at 4th and King to the Muni, um, either the T uh, or the N-line, and I did very nearly get wiped out once by um, a motorcycle that um, went through the uh, uh, southbound red line on King Street at over 100 miles an hour. It missed, it missed me by about a foot. Um, but I believe that once you start identifying where the issues are, you're, not, you're going to realize you've got to rethink how you design these transfers between various modes of transportation. And I believe that moving forward, um, you're going to find out that the so-called future Fourth and Townsend uh, station uh, is not going to be connecting to the property to the central subway at the Fourth and Blannon. And I hope we can start um, taking how we design these uh, multimodal uh, hubs um, in the future um, to basically make it possible to have less fatalities as people try to transfer from one mode of transportation to the other thank you
4: thank you caller checking for any additional public comment on this item chair we are finished with this item
0: all right public comment on item nine is closed uh thanks uh to Devin morris and seth pardo again um, and to all the folks who've been advocating to get this uh this network updated and uh, mr clerk can you please call uh, our next item
1: item 10 vision zero san francisco municipal transportation agency safe streets evaluation program 2022 report this is an information item
0: eight and i think we have brian lang maybe remote four
32: Good morning, commissioners, or I say good afternoon. Uh, My name is Brian Liang, a transportation planner in the Louisville Street subdivision of the SFMTA, and the program manager for the Safe Streets Evaluation Team, and today I'll be presenting on the 2022 year-end report. Next slide, please. Apologies for the technical difficulties. Uh, so here's our agenda for today's presentation on the 2022 annual report. Uh, we'll go over the how we did it, the what we found, and what we learned, and what's next. Uh, for reference, the report this year is digital and can be accessed via the link on the slide. Uh, So every year we produce an annual report and it usually highlights the projects that we evaluated that year. Uh, This year we approached it a little differently and looked at several past project evaluations in the aggregate. So basically aggregating findings from common key performance metrics across past projects evaluated by this program. And this was done to refocus the report from individual projects to analyzing how design treatments were generally working. Next slide, please. So in terms of the how we did this analysis for the report, here's the inventory projects that were included in the aggregate analysis for the report. The projects that were included uh, include both quick-build projects which are reversible near-term traffic safety improvements, capital projects which are more permanent large-scale projects uh, with larger budgets and longer schedules, uh, and one program which was the left-turn safety initiative. So the projects were chosen due to their similarities in scope, uh, availability availability of consistent data, and represent the wide range of treatments installed by the SFMTA Street Traffic Safety Projects. Next slide, please. And those design treatments generally include vehicle travel lane reductions for pedestrian safety, uh, the installation of separated bikeways, approximately 7.3 and 7 miles of those treatments were installed across the 17 projects in the inventory, And other design treatments include intersection safety improvements like 10 new intersections with bike signal separation, uh, various pedestrian safety improvements such as intersection daylighting, upgrading crosswalks to higher visibility continental crosswalks, and painted safety zones across the uh, 17 projects. So here's our methodology for the aggregate analysis. We gathered findings from our past evaluations completed for the 17 individual projects in the inventory. Again, we chose these projects because of the availability and data consistency uh, in scope and use of similar metrics in their evaluations. Uh, No new data was collected besides importing collision data from uh, TransBase, which is the city's collision database, to do the high-level collision analysis. And the projects were evaluated at some point between 2017 to present, and we made efforts to avoid projects in this analysis that mainly collected data during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic to account for those uh, effects and travel patterns. And to go a little bit deeper, the methodology for each of the individual projects, Uh, Evaluations are the same. Each project was evaluated using a before and after analysis. So the projects evaluated both, uh, collected both pre and post implementation data, and they used the same set of standard operating procedures for data collection, ensuring consistency between projects for each of the projects. And the pre and post data were collected in the same locations along their respective corridors and for the same time periods. Data collection periods, for pre and post also count for things like seasonality. So as an example, if a project collected pre-data in April uh, 2018, post data could be collected in fall 2018 or spring 2019. And in the interest of time, I could definitely go into more detail uh, about the specific uh, methodology for the metrics after the presentation. So here are the findings um, from the key traffic safety metrics on the right-hand side of the slide. First, we have the change in overall collision rates. And on average, we saw a decrease of 18% post-project implementation. And this accounts for collisions involving all modes, so people driving, walking, and bicycling. Second are the change in daily vehicle speeds. And on average, vehicle speeds have decreased 3% post-project. Third are the change in peak hour bicycle volumes, which on average increased by 75%. Next is vehicle and bike interactions at the intersection where a new bike signal was installed. And on average, we saw a decrease of 93% in interactions between through bicyclists and right-turning vehicles. And relatedly, our pedestrian vehicle near misses or close claws at the intersection, and those rates have decreased by 38% post-project. Although not related to traffic safety, we also measured vehicle travel time in our evaluations to understand the impacts from our treatments. And on average, our projects have added only about 50 seconds in vehicle travel time. Lastly, from the left turn safety initiative, we also looked at vehicle speeds while making a left turn, and on average, turn speeds are down by 17%. So for most of these metrics, except for bicycle volumes, a decrease indicates good performance of our design treatments, and we are seeing that across the board. So generally speaking, the tools are working as intended. Moving on with this aggregate analysis, we also compared evaluation findings between quick build projects and capital projects, and here's what we found. So lots going on here in this table, uh, but it's what we looked at two slides ago with the key findings, just a little bit more detailed, and also includes the aggregate findings uh, by project type. And I won't go over each uh, finding individually, but the biggest takeaway is that both projects are effective in their own right. One of the major tools from the QuickBuild Toolbox is the separated bike, rate, bike weight. And with the separated bike weight, this tool essentially eliminates all, uh, all vehicle and bike conflicts along the block. And the benefits of this tool are definitely shown in the results where the average collision rates for bike-related collisions from quick build projects show a 42% decrease. On the capital side, the bike safety benefits aren't as great as uh, the average bike-related collisions only decreased about 5%, uh, which makes sense because although all three of the capital projects included in the analysis had some bikeway design in their scope, only 2nd Street implemented a true separated bikeway. Uh, and 2nd Street was a project that saw the greatest bike-related coll- collision decrease. Out of the three capital projects however the interesting thing about capital projects is that they're very effective at improving pedestrian safety uh, quick builds are not far behind with an average collision rate decrease of 26 percent, uh, but the three capital projects saw an average decrease of about 50 percent in pedestrian related collisions uh, this this makes sense since the capital projects allow us to install hardscape improvements like bull and sidewalk improvements as well as greening and more intensive traffic signal upgrades Uh, But again, overall, both types of projects have shown major safety benefits. I also wanna quickly highlight four traffic safety improvement efforts. Uh, These are some recent investments we made in historically underserved communities. With each, uh, we ensured there'd be a thoughtful community process when talking about traffic safety uh, improvements and design uh, street changes in those neighborhoods. So the Bayview Quick Build project aimed to improve traffic safety along Evans Avenue, uh, Hunters Point Boulevard, and Innes Avenue, while the Leavenworth Quick Build, Golden Gate Avenue Quick Build, and the No Turn on uh, on Red Initiative were all located in the Tenderloin neighborhood. Three of the four projects had very promising evaluation results in improving traffic safety and only one, which was the Bayview Quick Build, show slight safety improvements but not to the level expected. Uh, But that's one of the things about evaluation. It's not meant to only show the good, but also identify where tools may not be working as effectively and where continued investment and improvements need to be made. So using our findings, we'll keep working with the community, especially with the Bayview Quick Build Project, and continue to iterate on design until it meets the expected uh, traffic safety goals and visions from the neighborhood community. Next. And quickly pivoting and relating this port back to Vision Zero, the pie chart on the slide is directly from the Vision Zero Action Strategy and it represents traffic safety benefits in the form of collision reduction estimates through various initiatives and interventions. Uh, The initiative of interest is the yellow bar on the pie chart, which represents major road redesigns. The action strategy estimated that this initiative would yield an estimated reduction of 30% in collision rates. And if you look at our results from this report focusing on pedestrian and bicycle related collisions, which is the table below the pie chart, you'll see that the post project rates for pedestrian and bicycle related collisions saw an average decrease of 33 and 32 percent, respectively, which is basically in line and consistent with the action strategies estimate. So, again, our design tools are having an impact and they are improving traffic safety where they are installed. Next slide. So based on all the findings uh, and this whole process, we have three major uh, lessons learned. First, the tools in our toolbox of street safety improvement uh, projects are working. Second, we need to do a little bit more with our capital projects. Uh, separated bikeways really work, and with the three capital projects already completed, the bikeway design scope, except for 2nd Street, weren't robust enough. We learned from uh, this lesson, and future capital projects, such as the one in Howard and Folsom Streets, will include separated bikeways in their design using concrete barriers. Third, not everything is positive. We know that there is definitely more work that needs to be done, especially in underserved neighborhoods uh, where some of our traffic safety designs have fallen short of expectations. But again, we are committed to investing the time and resources to get it right and continue partnering with with the community. And I actually have one more lesson learned, which is not on the slide, but important to share. And it's that quick build projects are really great, but they aren't a substitute for capital improvements. We can't start with a quick build project and end end our efforts with the quick build projects. Our evaluations have shown that we must keep iterating our near-term efforts. Uh, And with all that in mind, I want to conclude with the next steps for our program. First, uh, we're going to continue tracking and evaluating because we're producing valuable analysis and information that's informing our work as well as our future work. Uh, Second, although our data collection efforts are a pretty well-oiled machine and the overall process is pretty solid and consistent, Uh, There are things we can improve upon with program operations. So we're currently in the middle of developing a central database with all of our data collected from the program uh, working to fine tune the data collection uh, pipeline to improve efficiency, uh, as well as making our data eventually uh, more accessible to the public. Uh, And that basically concludes my my presentation. And just want to remind everyone again that our report is available online on the SFMTA website. And thank you for your time.
0: Thank you, Mr. Liang. Commissioner Preston.
13: Thank you. Um, thanks for the presentation and the work. Two quick questions. Uh, first, uh, can you confirm that the um, propo- the proposal for citywide network of uh, safe streets uh, is going to be presented uh, by the to the MTA board in December? This was something that's been kicked off a couple times, uh, kicked down the road, and we've been told maybe Mr. Parker yes, can I'll do that. To I just wanted Jamie to, Parks. to confirm that that's going
10: to be presented to the MTA board in December. sure Good afternoon. Our, our intent is to present the Slow Streets program to the MTA Board on December 6th. Nothing is 100% confirmed until agendas are set, but we are currently working toward that date. Okay,
13: when you say the Slow Streets, because my understanding was there was going to be a presentation, <clears throat> Slow Streets included, but about so, uh, a, yeah, a yeah. vision for a citywide network of Safe Streets, of which yeah. Slow Streets would be a part. Is that, has yes.
10: that changed? Yeah the, yeah, the vision would be larger than Slow Streets. The action itself would likely be adopting a Slow Streets program.
13: Thank you. And and the other question, I'm not sure who this is for, but thank you for the, um, I think a number of these presentations have talked about the Tenderloin No Ride on Red, which was really a successful pilot in one neighborhood we've talked with MTA about possible expansions, but it strikes, you know, to different neighborhoods, but it just strikes me as something, I, I mean, I grew up in a city where it was just no right on red, period, across the city, everyone knew it, and nobody turned right on red, and everyone survived, and they got to <laughs> their destination 30 seconds later. So um, it, what, it can, what would it take to do no right on red uh, as a citywide policy? Because like running out there and doing signs, like the cost of that, if if we're eventually hopefully going to get to the place where these pilots show us that it's a good idea to do no right on red, way easier to just say, that's the new policy and do an education campaign around that rather than your folks going out to each intersection, neighborhood by neighborhood. So what what would the
10: process be if we decided to do uh, to do it uh, citywide? Yeah. So I believe in terms of a citywide policy, um, that's something that the SFMTA board could consider and. Possibly, this board could could urge in terms of enforcement. The California s- state law says that no, you cannot enforce a right turn on red restriction unless there is a sign present, and so you might be able to make a citywide policy around it. But in terms of actually enforcing it at individual intersections, that does require the signs at each corner.
13: Got it. Sounds like a good thing for the MTA board and for possible state law change. But thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Commissioner Preston. Um, if there are no further comments or questions from call, oh, there we go, Commissioner Safai.
14: Thank you, uh, just wanted to just add on this item. Uh, we've been working with the MTA to address some safety concerns over at Jose Ortega Elementary. Uh, we've worked on some in-person meetings with the principal, Ben Klaus, and parent volunteers, and we've gone over some challenges this morning with drop-off and pick-up with MTA. and. You know, it's really become clear that there's not really a comprehensive plan um, to assess all the different schools. I know that you're working on that, uh, but we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to provide safe pickup and drop off at our schools. Um, This area has a lot of speeding. We've been pushing for MTA to work with to to restart the cross guard program. Uh, They were told that the program was suspended because of COVID. Um, but they have not, they, you know, we've been reopened for a long time and we haven't really had the assessments for the MTA cross guards. Uh, and, you know, when's that gonna be restarted? Because there's some, some serious issues that go along with, with safety. Um, and it would be great, similar to what we've talked about today of no turn on reds and speeding citywide. It would be wonderful if we had a comprehensive plan for each school about drop off and pick up. I know that we've had conversations about creating safe zones around schools, similar to safe streets. Uh, They do it all over Europe where there's a a real safe zone around the schools where there's not cars allowed. Um, It's something to consider, and I think it's something that MTA needs to be a little bit more aggressive about. So um, we do seem to have quite a bit of consensus about safety around schools, so I'd like to hear a little bit more from MTA on that.
10: Sure. Um, First, I want to clarify that the crossing guard program is absolutely active. We have 170 plus guards citywide. Uh, What has been paused is considering expansion of the program to additional schools uh, due to staffing shortages. So when we returned from COVID, a number of our guards did not return. So we are working first to fill all of our open positions at all of our existing schools before we consider new schools. But we do have 170 plus guards on San Francisco streets every day. So the program is very active. Um, and then you know, very specifically to Jose Ortega, I'll just say we are committed to including the speed humps there on, on Sargent as part of um, next year's schools engineering speed hump program. But the larger, the larger piece around um, schools planning, I, I think that's an excellent question to, to, to bring up with this board and talk about in terms of you know, what future planning efforts might look like
14: to come up with a comprehensive plan I mean you're saying that the cross guards are short-staffed you're trying to get the ones re staffed at the schools that have been lost there's real no plan there's no plans for any expansion do you have a plan for drop-off safety at schools yeah,
10: so we do have an overall Safe Routes to School program in terms of drop-off and safety. You know, we work continuously on that, and so, we, so our, our engineering team is available to schools to help work on specific loading issues as, as they come up, um, and then we have the school walk audits I think Commissioner Chan was interested in potentially expanding, but we do target that to specific schools where maybe additional focus is needed. And yeah, so it would be good to
14: put a little yep. bit more effort into. Yep. I mean, you have safe yep. routes, you have audits, you have cross guards. There needs to be a comprehensive, yep. Yep. seems to yep. me, would make sense. Thank you. Thank you, Chair.
0: Thank you, Commissioner Safai. Commissioner Marr.
12: Thank you, Chair Mandelman, and thanks. Uh, Brian and Jamie for for all the work on these Safe Streets projects and for the the evaluation and, and the presentation. Um, I well, actually I, I did want to say it was good to see that the um, you know that the evaluation showed that these projects important projects are meeting the the key metric of um, reducing collisions vehicle collisions both with bikes and, uh, bikes and pedestrians involved and in and, and then it looks like on, on the the other related metrics as well around um yeah vehicle speed and and interactions and close calls um i did have a question about the bike volume because that that's also an important sort of goal of, of these projects to, just to support more more folks here in the city to to feel comfortable riding their bikes um uh, as transportation, particularly. And, and that's an important goal of the Sunset Neighborways project, right, where we're, we've been working closely with you and, and going from floor, four slow streets in the Sunset to nine Sunset Neighborways. So um, really happy to see there's a lot of good um, 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 good work to draw on from these other projects to to um, yeah, to yeah reduce um, vehicle collisions and, and safe streets. But what about bicycle volume? I'm, is that mostly achieved, was, was, I would imagine there's a higher bike volume on the capital projects and, than the quick builds when there's a um, projected bike lane. Um, could you just talk a little bit about the bike volume findings in the evaluation?
32: Sure. So uh, typically, for our methodology with bike volumes, we collected one of two ways. We either do uh, pneumatic tubes, which is a tube that's laid out on the street to collect both vehicle volumes and bicycle volumes, and that's for anywhere between a 24 to 72-hour period. However, for this analysis, we actually looked at everything during the commute peaks, just because that was the data point that was available uh, across projects. Uh, in terms of bike volumes uh, between quick build versus capital projects, uh, there was actually more volume increased in the quick build side versus the uh, capital side because, again, a lot of the Capital projects that we implemented as part of uh, our program and as part of this analysis, uh, only one of them really installed really robust uh, separated bikeway infrastructure. Whereas with most of the quick builds, one of the baseline scope items is a separated bikeway, and that can be implemented pretty quickly using uh, near
12: term uh, reversible treatments. Great, so that, that's interesting. So you're saying that the quick build, like uh, pro- projected bike lanes, were. Saw more bike volume than the the capital project ones at the were more robust? Uh, In the aggregate, so Mm -hmm. there are
32: some projects if you look at them individually that definitely have a little bit more bicycle volume. So for example, you know, the Valencia uh, Northern Pilot uh, definitely was one of the higher performing uh, projects in terms of bicycle volume as a a metric. Uh, But that's not to say that the capital projects did not see a high increase in volume either. Uh, Masonic actually did see, Masonic Avenue, the capital project actually did see a pretty significant jump in bike volumes, but uh, overall across the board, uh, it would be leaning more towards the quick build side.
12: Mm-hmm. And would you say that the the increases in bike volume met the um, what the goals that that you had when
32: uh, I would say so just because we know that you know bike volume and just the uh, usage of a bike facility indicates uh, people's perceptions of how safe it is you know the more people that perceive it to be safe and comfortable the more people that use it and for most of our projects where we have installed a separated bike where we have seen b- bike volume increases. Uh, from before and after.
12: Great, and one, just one last question, tying it back to the Sunset Neighborways, which you, you're working on very actively and you have been. Thank you so much. Um, do you, I think for the slow streets and the Sunset, the four slow streets that we had, um, they were, it seemed like the data that I saw and, and it was, the perception in the community was that they weren't really, it didn't, they didn't really lead to significant increases in bike volume, um, maybe maybe one there was a little bit like, yeah, one of them did. But do you do you think um, the Sunset Neighborways um, can draw on some of the successes and the evaluation in the evaluation of these other projects to, yeah, to, to yeah to to lead to more increased bike volume in the Sunset?
32: I believe so. You know, separated bikeways is only one of the tools to improve uh, bike safety and you know bike comfort. There are other tools that may be more appropriate for the street types uh, as part of the Sunset Neighborway projects, where most of those streets are. Uh, residential and local streets. A lot of the separated bikeways that we have installed are primarily on streets that are more commercial or just a variety of land uses. Uh, you know, through the Sunset Neighborways program and slow streets in general, we have a lot of traffic calming tools that can improve safety and comfort for people who are biking walking on residential streets. So it may not be the separated bikeway, but there are tools available to kind of create that same effect.
12: Great, thanks so much, Brian. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner Maher. Um, Thank you, uh,
0: Mr. Lang. Let's um, open this item to public comment. If there is public comment in the chamber.
6: Good afternoon, Jody Madeiras. Last time today I speak, I promise. Um, I do want to thank the SFMTA for sharing this five-year report and showing that we do have the tools uh, in our toolbox to really make change. And. Um, I think what we want to ask is that, as we've heard today, it is this systematic, comprehensive approach. So if we are seeing that quick builds really aren't doing the trick and bringing speeds down to where they need to be, is there anything else that can be done? Is it additional uh, painted safety zones with um, maybe a harder material? Is it taking away Atlanta traffic? What else can and should be done in order to make those changes closest as possible to a capital Plan if we don't want to spend 20 and 30 million per corridor on capital improvements, or we can't. But now that we have um, our new high-injury network, and we know that we just passed Proposition L, I do want to ask this commission to bring in the agencies more frequently. Since we only do have two more years before Vision Zero, that goal is to be reached, bring in these agencies more frequently, ask them how they're doing, ask them what they need, and let's get us uh, ending severe uh, traffic crashes and death by 2024. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Do we have anyone else in the chamber who wants to speak on item 10? Seeing none, let's see if we have any remote public comment
4: on item 10. Yes, we do. On to the
18: first caller.
4: Hi, caller. Your two minutes begins
18: now. Oh, hello. This is Richard Rockland from uh, uh, District 1, or as the MTA calls us, the county. And uh, I don't know what happened to the rapid response. You know, uh, people in the Richmond get uh, hit by cars. Some get injured and some pass away. But MTA doesn't seem to want to do anything about it. Out in the Richmond District, there's been at least four of them that any MTA hasn't put in any safety improvement, and we've been asking for flashing beacons instead of stop signs, and their favorite word is no. You know, uh, there's streets in the uh, in where I live that I won't drive across or walk across, so I have to drive on slow streets because I won't cross certain streets. And I know you don't want me to drive on slow streets, but I have to because there's intersections in the Richmond District that aren't safe. And uh, I don't know why MTA's favorite word is no and why they don't uh, want to put in these simple improvements to make our, our area safe. I feel I should be able to walk safely and, and drive safely through intersections. in in the Richmond district. So I wish uh, uh, MTA would pay more attention to the Richmond district. Thank you.
4: Thank you, caller. Hello, caller, your two minutes begin now.
33: Yes, hello. Um, Hello, Chair Mandelman and commissioners. My name is Karen Rose and I live in the mission where a lot of this work has been going on over the last few years. And I serve as the president of the Walk San Francisco Board of Directors. I urge you to act on the recommendations Walk SF has outlined in this report to make sure that everyone in this city is able to reach their destinations safely, regardless of age, ability, income, ethnicity, or mode of transit, most important. Our safe streets depend on safe speeds. Comprehensive and tailored solutions do exist. Commissioners, please direct our city agencies to implement these solutions immediately before we lose another life to a preventable crash. Thank you.
4: Thank you, caller. Hello, caller, your two minutes begins now.
33: Hi, this is uh, Jay Bain. I am a resident of Supervisor Chan's uh, Richmond District, D1. Just wanna say thank you for all the presentations today. I wanted to ask you a quick question about uh, information that's shared with the public as it relates to the outcomes of uh, projects. So, for example, with the California Street Safety Project, the report that's on your website says that vehicle travel speeds remain similar to pre project conditions and that total ve- daily vehicle volumes remain similar. Uh, many people on Nextdoor who are opposed to street safety projects like this for whatever reasons, it could be personal convenience or their subjective experience, uh, could really use the data that's accurate and objective and uh, based on uh, standardized data collection methods. So, a lot of times people will say that they can't, uh, that the roads are backed up and uh, the traffic is slowed to a crawl or stopped. I'd really like to be able to access data that shows that, in fact, that's subjective and anecdotal, and when you look at the large data that it's not the case and that this is actually an improvement. I also wanted to say that I was part of the, uh, I attended the community input meetings for this project before it started, and it's exciting to see the outcome and the results of the uh, program. Please uh, keep supporting these projects and also use the uh, sales tax uh, that was recently reauthorized through Prop L to uh, fund these at a higher rate uh, along with these kinds of performance metrics. Thank you, I'm done speaking.
4: Thank you, caller. Hello, caller, your two minutes begin
24: now. Yeah, so the first thing is a needs assessment on the programs or the projects that are listed. It shouldn't take more than three years, five years as a maximum. If it crosses five years, Something has to be done, whoever's in charge. That means they have to be fired. We cannot wait for a traffic light for 15, 20, 25 years. We cannot tolerate these planners uh, removing parking meters and, and coming to us after the fact. There is no accountability and no transparency. And let me tell you something. If you receive one single dollar from the federal government, you have to show accountability. I know. I know how to prepare those reports. We have had too much patience with the San Francisco County Transportation Authority and the MTA. The turnover. I don't know where they find these people. They come from some other planet. They don't have any feeling for the people on the streets And San Franciscans should wake up. We want action, not talk. No project should take more than three years. Five years as a maximum. If not, fire them. Get rid of them. Thank you very much. Thank you, caller.
4: There is no more public comment for this item.
0: All right. Thank you, public comment on item 10 is closed. Thanks again to the SFMTA for the presentation. Um, Mr. Clerk, could you please call our
1: next item? Item 11, introduction of new items. This is an information item.
0: Uh,
1: Vice Chair Peskin?
3: Thank you, Chair Mandelman. Uh, I have one additional item that I would like to agendize for our next meeting. Uh, You may recall back in 2019, we voted to fund a Chinatown pedestrian safety and neighborhood transportation plan as well as a Portsmouth Square circulation study that identified key improvements uh, a year later in and around Portsmouth Square, Kearney and Clay uh, that Director Chang spoke to earlier. Uh, as well as that little alley that uh, is known as Walter U. Lum Place. Uh, The intent was to maximize opportunities for Vision Zero improvements uh, in parallel with the Portsmouth Square Master Plan, uh, which ultimately will transform Chinatown's living room, uh, one of the three original open spaces in San Francisco along with uh, Union Square and Washington Square. Uh, In this past budget cycle, uh, I am delighted to say that Assemblymember Ting uh, obtained a whopping $6 million uh, for additional resiliency and in community investments in Portsmouth Square, including a million to finalize the TA's community based recommendations around Walter Ulum Walter U- Place. So I want to especially thank the Assemblyman given that he does not represent uh the 17th assembly district represents the 19th but given the high density of vulnerable pedestrians in chinatown and the need to invest uh, in this neighborhood after the pandemic's many challenges he worked with the community to ensure these investments were detailed and had a layer of accountability and oversight so i'd like an update on how the ta public works and and park are working to ensure these funds are folded into the portsmouth square construction plans and a report back on the updated designs for Walter Ulum Place and the Portsmouth Square garage entrance on Kearney. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank
0: you, Vice Chair Peskin, and looking over at TA staff to make sure that works, and they're given a thumbs up, so great. Um, thank you, and I don't see anyone else on the roster, so let's open up item 11 to public comment. Is there anyone in the chamber who would like to speak on item 11? And seeing none, let's see if there's any remote public comment.
4: Checking for public comment on item 11. I see no public comment.
0: Okay, public comment on item 11 is closed. Mr. Clerk, please call item 12.
1: Item 12, public comment.
0: Is there any general public comment in the chamber? Seeing none, let's see if there's any remote general public comment
4: yes chair we have a caller let me
18: unmute them
4: hi caller your two minutes begins now
18: hello this is richard bronzman again and while uh i urge the commissioners to look at the data map for uh, prop i j and l and you know i've lived in this city all my life and i've never seen the city so divided In these three propositions, you can see the parallel difference between the east side and the west side. And I looked on the map for Prop L, and I didn't see one or maybe one or two uh, precincts that voted um, the two-thirds for Prop L. Most of the, uh, maybe there was one or two, but most of them uh, voted in the 50%. And uh, you know, even when they did the mobility study for the staff wouldn't talk to the uh they didn't study the Richmond district. I tried to talk to them, they wouldn't even answer my emails or talk to me about it and the Richmond district was was very much intact by the great highway and I think as city leaders uh you know you need to work to to make us one city. So, uh, you know, that we're all working together and I don't feel we are. And, uh, you know, people have to learn to compromise and, and, and that's what I'm afraid happened with this, uh, IJ, you know, people didn't want to sit down and compromise and we're in this situation and a lot of seniors feel alienated and, uh, I'm almost ready to leave the city. You know, it, it's really, uh, uh, it's your job to help bring, bring the city together and so we can all work together. Thank you.
4: Thank you, caller. Hello, caller. Your two minutes begins now.
30: Hi, I, I wasn't going to call in, but I just want to correct some misinformation. I'm looking at uh, Chris Arvin's excellent election map. Um, Not a single district voted in the affirmative for Prop I. Every single district voted below 50% on Prop I. Um, Just want to make that known. That's it. Thank you.
4: Thank you, caller. There is no more public comment.
0: All right. Public comment on item 12 is closed. Mr. Clerk, please call item 13.
1: Item 13, adjournment. We are adjourned.